Welcome back to another episode of the All Music is Good podcast, the podcast that takes a deep dive into four recent releases. We get right in there to try and work out what's great and sometimes not so great about each one. This week we'll be looking at albums from The Middle Kids, Cardi Tatum, Nogueras, and the Floating Points for a Sanders collab. But before we get into episode 20, it's with a sense of 2020 nostalgia that I say hello to a man who I'm currently peering at from my side of the laptop to his from my recording hub that I like to call my laundry, and he's sitting in his bedroom, and I can't help but have a sense of deja vu and think back to this time last year when we were living in vastly different realities and we started this little podcast to keep the creative juices flowing. And tonight, we clock up episode 20. A whole lot has happened in the past 12 months, and I know we referenced it a lot, because how can you not reference the last year? But well, actually, but not but. It's with these unusual feelings of goodwill and warmth, something that no doubt will be short-lived, and just a blip on the radar, that I say hello to the Northside Hustler himself and my co-host, Arik Bloom. Arik, hello. Hello, Waza. We are back. We are back in our, um, in our, I guess, our... Our native habitat. Our native habitat. It's, it's sort of like... Um, like the pre-season competition where all the football teams go and play at their suburban home grounds, you know? It's kind of like... Oh, yeah. yeah, I guess so. You know, just something... One for the fans. This um, is one for the fans. You know? <laughs> um, yep. So, uh, for yeah. The, for, the, for the myriad of fans the, out there for listening the, to this For the podcast. myriad of fans. So, uh, for those uh, who, who, who are not actually with us in the room... Um, because this actually isn't live. Um, I think we discussed that once with um, with Ryan or, or Kumar. I think. Um, mm. uh, yes, we are back in our in our um, in our domestic environments doing this taping. To maybe shift it up a bit. Perhaps it's to do with the change of weather. It got a bit cold again, and suddenly I just had these kind of flashbacks of those of those first few weeks of lockdown and. Um, you know, more or less, I reckon this time, exactly this time last year, was uh, my uh, Easy Spa literally arrived. And, oh, um, yes. you know, I actually went, I, I turned it on. We've got a party this weekend and uh, we're yes. going to be topping up the chlorine and the pH. And How I'm many actually, can you have at a party, at a house party in Melbourne well, these days? I, well, I think Just for our guest. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's like 10,000, 10,500, <laughs> something like that at a house party. Um, awesome. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is quite, a, it is quite a, a nice little throwback. Episode 20, we're back, um, we're back doing it on the old SM7Bs and, uh, and doing it on the, old, um, on the old internet. But it does obviously uh, give us an amazing opportunity to uh, zoom in or squad in some very uh, esteemed special guests. So was it perhaps um, you might you might uh, take that one away? But before I do that, Eric, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my day today because I got you know you know when you, the Monday leading up to to this you know you're really sort of really getting in there on the albums just to like finalise what it is that you think or in your case probably you know you probably don't put it on to six o'clock at night but um. You know, I'm really getting in deep and today I got so sidetracked. Have you ever watched one of those YouTube, we we rate this song, you know, what, what's it called? When you, um, reaction, reaction videos oh, okay. to songs. Man, I got so sidetracked by reaction videos to the new Silk Sonic, Anderson Pack, and oh, Bruno Mars song. Fair enough. 
Oh my god! I listened to that song like twenty times in a row today, watching people's reactions to How it. How good it's is that? So good! It's so like, good. It came out a month ago, and I listened to it. I'm like, yeah, this is good. And then I listened to it today, like going, oh fuck, this is really good. Did you see the really, Grammys? Really good. Did you see the Grammys? Oh, the Grammys is better. It's the better version. Anderson Pack. Like kills it on that Grammy version. He's vocal. He's modulating. He's just like he's doing all sorts of shit with his voice that he doesn't do in the recording. Don't you reckon? Don't you reckon there was something like there's something so beautiful about that that track in that it's delivered so wonderfully earnestly that all kind of uh, you know take the piss factor just takes yeah. a backseat to just brilliant musicianship. It's equal parts that goofiness as well and equal parts brilliant and as i watched a reaction video to a jazz pianist today talking about how when you're doing a key change you've really got to go to the five chord which they really do or the five two chord and it's just a great lesson in key changing and it's like they do it oh, like whatever but sounded legit so i was into it anyway great song i'm going to give that an 11 out of 10 on our whatever 11 out of 10 rating scale i love that song so much um but Yes, before I interrupted you, I was getting to tonight's guest. Um, he's a keyboard synth lord of the highest order. And up until 2019, he was a gun for hire in the local I've seen until he decamped to the UK to become a London gun for hire. He's played with a long list of great local artists in Australia, probably overseas. And actually, we've got, I've got to tell you a story that he told me the other day um, um, in relation to last week's app. Um, but he can run us through all that. Uh, run us through all that. But I knew him originally through some um, appearances. I think he just got back from WA and he was playing with the Bamboos. Um, so this great gig he did um, at some tent down on the Yarra. It was really good. And then I saw him in Sex on Toast. And he's a member of the uh, Too Cool for School Jazz Doof Trio ZFX. He's an engineer, mixer, producer in his own right, having gone above and beyond and helping you produce the. Kylie Aldis last album this guy's a workaholic he's a machine I love him and for that it's with great joy that we say hello through the thickness of the UK COVID fog all the way to his house in the too cool for school town of London tonight can we give a big all music is good welcome to Lewis Moody Lewis hello <laughs> g'day 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 Hey, that's a bit Aussie of you. you can, you hello, through, can you hear me through the fog? You've been, the fog. Um, you, you've been, uh, you've been down in Camden, Camden or something with that good a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, Clapham, yeah, yeah. That's Expr- a, that, I got the train from Clapham. That's right. I actually, live, actually live with all the Australians in Clapham, but I got the train up to East London so I could broadcast just for the cool factor. Yeah. Oh, amazing, amazing. Make sure you take some photos of all of the celebrities around. Look in, look in the background there, Eric. He, he's got a, um, he's got a bed on stilts or something. Like it's so cool, <laughs> so London loft. My loft, it's so loft. London. You gotta, look at you gotta make bed. the most of the space here. You know, I bet the heating, I bet the heating is good though. Not in our place, converted oh. warehouse. Oh, you pay no. the price. You pay yeah. the price to live yep, the yep. East London dream. Yep, yeah, fair enough. That was a very, that was a very kind, that was a very kind introduction. I don't know what to say. Thank you very much. Um, well, you know, most some of it's true, even some of it almost. It's good, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's awesome to be here. I'm really stoked. I've been listening to your podcast a little bit since you started, and I was like, wait, I was waiting for my call up, mate. You know? Oh well, we got through um, our top 19, and then we got to 20 on the <laughs> yeah, list, yeah. and we thought yeah, yeah. it's Lewis's turn. I feel honoured to be top 20. Honestly. You're definitely, <laughs> you're, you're definitely top 20. 
Well, you're and you're number two on our on our London guests as well. So that's that's something as well. Cool. Who is number one? I'm I was uh, not that well, jealous. Chip, it was uh, but, Chip Chip Wickham, but I guess via oh, Dubai. Cool, cool, cool. So technically number one. I mean number one residing in London. Yes. Right on. Which is a, a technicality. Yeah. Tell us about the last year, Lewis. Come on, man. Well, it started and then it seems like it was over. Not much has really happened. <laughs> <laughs> so so walk us uh, through it, Lewis. Did you did you get over there? more or less very soon before COVID or were you already no, there? I had about a year. I had about a solid year in uh, in London before it hit, but then I was back in Australia late 2019 for some touring and then came back and had about another six months in London before COVID hit. So then, yeah, and then, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the news. It's like just bleak town, bleak town over here. Um, and Prince Philip died last week. I mean, it's even bleaker. <laughs> Apparently there's so many complaints on the BBC website about the coverage of Prince Philip. They had to set up a specific landing page for complaints about Prince Philip coverage. Wow. As in there's not enough or there's too much? No, or? there's too much because, like, everything <laughs> shut. Apparently they just played, like, mournful music on every BBC radio station, like, all day I mean, yesterday. I, I guess, I mean, Manchester United played Tottenham Hotspurs this week, so I'd imagine a, there'd be a couple of uh, couple of football fans phoning in going, sorry, but fuck, what is the score right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Didn't happen on Friday, didn't it? Hey, Arik, I, I was talking to Lewis the other day and he said just before COVID hit, he was about to do a run of gigs with one of the albums we reviewed last weekend, New, uh, Nubian uh, Twist. Oh, no way. With yeah, I haven't crew. listened to the episode yet, but did you trash it? I hope you didn't trash it, mate. It's going no, to get we back to them. We, uh, <laughs> did we trash it? No, I think we, 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 gave, we, we gave it just a really comprehensive deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> There was some perplexing. There was some perplexion, wasn't there? Is that a word? Perplexion. Yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah, I, I think, was perplexed. At I mean, times. It, it's a. Did you did you record on that album? No, 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 no. I was just called up to depth for a few shows in Europe, but uh, then it all fell apart because of the Rona. You know. Well, um, Audrey, Audrey, if you listen back to our last episode, Audrey Pound actually was like, "I reckon they're going to change personnel when they hit the road," and there we there we go. There we go. Why did she say that? No, Sweet. because she was saying that the band was finding their sound and that like by the time the record came out, basically her review was that there was a, like a basically it was a jam band that became a recording band and then once shit gets real, a whole bunch of people probably split and that is when they'll kind of lock into their sound. So perhaps it's prophetic. I didn't get that. I don't think it was exactly that. I think it was an Afrobeat band becoming uh, like Neo a soul band. Neo- you know, a new future soul band and that, you know, there was a lot of horn stuff and then, you know, now it's gone to something different and maybe, you know, there's a battle. Still a pretty massive two. band. I think it's like a 10-piece yeah. band or something. Yeah, 10 piece, 10 piece. Yes. But they did, they, they had a singer, they had a singer named Nubaya. That's why the band's called Nubian Twist. And the, she, ah, I don't think she left the band. So now they have just guest vocalists. But a friend oh, so of mine, replaced- sings with them a lot. Oh, I thought that were, you were getting the guest vocal spot. No. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Keep no. on playing. Yeah. Not today. So, Not today, mate. Lewis, what, what what was um? So what was the kind of what was the impetus for you to get over to London? Was there like a gig waiting for you there, or did you just kind of just chuck it in and go? I'm just going to head over. Yeah, I'd been in Australia, so I studied in WA, and then I moved back to Melbourne in roughly 2012, uh, maybe 2013, 2012, 2013, and. 
yeah, had just been in Melbourne for a long time and like just needed a needed to switch it up and I'd always wanted to live in the, the Northern Hemisphere. Um, and in terms of music capitals, you know, it's, if it's not New York or LA, it's probably London. So, um, yeah, I came over to visit in 2018 and hung out and really loved it and, and then just decided to, um, you know, throw it, you know, throw caution to the wind or whatever and, and jump on a plane. Yeah. And um, have there been some, I know, I remember was telling me that you, you, you had some pretty cool um, sessions come, happening in retouring, I think, in, in Australia just before you headed off or you came back for a tour or something. But it sounded like there was yeah, some pretty was, cool, cool work happening. I was pretty flat out. I was pretty flat out before I left, but mostly studio time. We're making a lot of music, trying to make as much music with all my mates as possible yep. um, before I left. Yeah, and then I was back in Australia August to October touring with Guy Sebastian. So I there did that, yep, yep. that we had national tour with him, filling in for Grant Windsor because Grant had a baby. Um, cool. So that was awesome. It was really nice to come home and like and just do a big run of, of big theatre shows. And, and all the good things that come with that, you know. Grand final like, day. You played at the grand final, dude, on the Foxtel Hub. Yeah, outside. yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had a white shirt on and the rest of the band were wearing black and it just looked like he's obviously the depth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was embodying the how out of place I felt in football culture. That's probably got more to do with it. <laughs> no, I was probably about two games of football in my life. Or it might have been a, Colli- it might have been a Collingwood game and, and Lewis was just like, Come on, guys. Uh, Color coordinate. Let's go. The bad that I can't tell you who played, let alone who won, I don't. I still can't remember. <laughs> don't, don't even know, actually. So I tell think us I was how... in there before the match started. I was, like, back home like, before the match even started. So that kind of touring, um, that kind of touring, you said, you know, the good things that come with that kind of touring. What are some of the good things that come with that sort of big theatre pop tour? Is it is it catering? Is it, like, <laughs> are, you, are you flying... Are you flying not Jetstar? What's uh, just what are some of the just delivery del- three meals a day? That's delivery. Uh, Fuck not. Yeah, I dig. No, it's um, yeah, just like the bigger bigger shows like that. Not you know, tech, like having an awesome tech crew, um, your own gear driven around the country in the truck. So just you walk off stage, power down, and maybe like put a few things away, and then the crew pack everything down, put it in the truck, and then the next day you get off the plane, head to sound check, and your gear's on stage, set up in exactly the same position. Everything's plugged in, powered up, ready to go. You just plug your ears in, and like it's go time. It's unreal, you know. What's cool. really amazing about that level of like that level of um, kind of infrastructure, touring infrastructure, is how it actually affects your performance. I'd never really thought about this, but like, I feel like for ages I'd been trying to do, you know, like striving to do a perfect show or whatever on, on indie touring. And it's, and I would just have these experiences where like every night I'd, you know, make a mistake here, make a mistake there. I'm sorry, that's my doorbell going. Um, Make a mistake here, make a mistake there. And then did this tour where we had all this like ridiculous touring infrastructure and all of a sudden you make less mistakes because like all you have to do is think about the one thing you have to think about. I just have to play keys, have to play well that night, I have to play the music that we've rehearsed the shit out of, you know, it's unreal. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's credit. I was incredibly lucky to have such an, you know, awesome community and team there. It's such a fun gig. So, what's the deal with the ZFX project? Is that is something coming out with that soon? So we just, yeah. Um, so we just had a record come out, a twelve inch 
come out uh, on Secret Sundays, who are a London-based label. They're, I don't know if you, you maybe heard of them. They're like um, mm-hmm. yep. OG kind of London house legends. Um, yep. Or I think even as far back as early noughties, late 90s. I'm pretty sure they've been throwing parties since the late 90s. Um, so it's really amazing to have something come out on that label. It's, you know, they've got so much history in London, in the London dance music community. So it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, an A and B side. The A side features uh, Wayne Snow, who, Kez, who is uh, an incredible artist based out of Berlin that Ziggy hooked up with when he moved there. And the B side we wrote, the B side we wrote, Matt Ziggy and I wrote when we were there in 2019. I think we had a couple of shows there while 3070 were touring through Berlin. So I went over and hung out. Um, it was just after I'd moved, like maybe three months, four months after I'd moved. So when I hung out Berlin summer, like just spent a yeah. week, a week there and, and, um, yeah, you know how it goes. It was pretty glorious. I don't know, but Eric knows how it goes. Who were you hanging out with in Berlin, Eric? Who, who was, was I? That? Oh, fuck it. Yeah, the guy who we reviewed the album of, um, the pianist. Oh, the um, coward. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, just bring yeah, yeah. the coward yeah, in the bumped cafe. In, bumped, into, bumped into Luke Howard. Also bumped into my disco. That was a pretty cool thing. Oh, wow. um, yeah, they were they were over there. Ziggy, the regu- Ziggy regularly gets recognised walking down the street by Australians in Berlin. It's pretty funny. He'll be walking That's down the street and like, "Oh, Ziggy!" Yeah, I mean, but he wears the hat oh, everywhere. <laughs> That's very recognisable. That hat. Yeah, yeah, the bugger <laughs> hat. Um, but yeah, so and then the B side features uh, of this record features a remix by Geology, um, the New York beat maker and producer, who's like, I mean, that's pretty unreal <laughs> he's worked with yeah. like erica badu and jay diller and shit so it's pretty surreal to hear and the remix is like really tough it's pretty wild it's basically just put like the fattest 909 over the top it's a proper new york house remix like, when you um when, like you know given given like the resume that you read out of like having someone remix something of yours and going fuck they've done this they've done this they've done this talk us through the kind of feeling just before you press play, are you like, this fucking better be good, or or is it like, or is it like, I can't wait, I'm so excited, or, oh, I'm nervous, what if it's not good, like, what what's the, what's the thinking, you know, someone at that caliber touching your music? Yeah, I mean, I was pretty excited about it. I suppose I didn't really think about it until I didn't actually really know about it. So Ziggy, it's Ziggy's band, so he leads the band and he looks after all that, you know. I'm, I just contribute in terms of production and playing and stuff and some writing. So he just kind of sent it through. He's like, oh, by the way, Sacred Sunday's got a ge- got geology to do a remix. And I was like, what? And he sent the master through, like it was done, or the final version or something. Um, so I didn't really – He, I just got it in my inbox. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And he played. Yeah, you, but so I was immediately like – Yeah, I was – yeah, totally. I was immediately blown away by uh, – like it was, I mean, if you listen to it, it's out, it's out on Bandcamp now. It's called Kreuzberg, Kreuzberg Kicks, like the suburb of Kreuzberg. Um, and he, ba- it's pretty wild. The flip is pretty wild because it's all the original tune's like house tune. So, like, it, he's made it just an even more wild house tune. <laughs> like, just like it just bangs. It's really amazing. But I can't really describe what I'm trying to say, but he, yeah, it, no, he, he made it a proper house tune. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, he put, yeah. he made it like cred. He gave it cred. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty funny. 
Hey, well, Lewis, thanks for coming on tonight, man. Um, it's it's a, a pleasure. Can't wait excited. to review some albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> don't get too excited. Don't just as long as you don't get bored. That's the main thing. No, I um, love the. I, I'm going to interject and say I love the the ethos of this podcast. It it really like typifies everything I think about music in terms of like all music is good and valid and positive and it's really important to focus on that. So I'm pumped. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Well, um, let's get into the Instagram like of the week. So each week, it's a se- well, each week, the Instagram like of the week is a segment that celebrates a, a new Instagram account we've come across, like amidst scrolling the Instagram accounts of like 90s teen heartthrobs, former WBC middleweight female boxers, and professional wakeboarders. Each week, I try and find a new account for the All Music Is Good Instagram page to follow, and I invite Arik and our celebrity reviewer, Lewis, to try and guess who this mystery account may be via a series of cryptic and more often not so cryptic clues. And it might be worth also noting that, um, Lewis, just for you, for the record, that uh, I think more time goes into finding the Instagram <laughs> account than selecting the records each week. It's not as easy as you okay. think, Eric. It is not that easy. I'm not easy. holding high hopes for myself here. I don't think <laughs> I'm not going to be much help, but all right. Anyway, so to Eric and I, it's not about the amount of likes our account gets. That would be too easy, really. It's more about Mm. the honour one should feel for having the All Music Is Good Instagram account like them. So, Eric, it's coming into spring in the Northern Hemisphere and James Vanderbeek and his gorgeous family have been out and about enjoying, you know, the fresh but with hints of warmness pre-summer sunshine. (sighs) Love that. It's a great joy, I feel, looking at his highly photogenic offspring frolicking in the fields of Northern California. And I'm so glad we picked him as someone to like. Aspirational. Oh, he's just a, he's a role model. He's a role model for people like us. Anyway, so the account that we've chosen to like tonight is a person who grew up in quite a religious setting with her dad being a Lutheran pastor. Her role model as a child was Madame Curie. And she followed in her footsteps somewhat, obtaining degrees in physics and quantum chemistry. She's an expert baker with her plum cake as well as her potato soup and roulade being quite famous. She has a deep fear of dogs after being bitten by one as a child, but despite this, she was named number one on Forbes' list of most powerful females in the world. It's not Martha Stewart, is it? Martha Stewart. Most powerful women in the world. Did Martha Stewart do a degree, a doctorate in quantum chemistry? I don't, maybe. I don't know. It's my um, sure. I don't know. don't think she did. She's also, isn't she like a big mogul? Like I thought she was really... I don't know if she's the know, most powerful woman is- in the world, Lewis. <laughs> okay. I, well, I see where you're going, but like I, like, I think we... The you know, I, don't know if, I don't know. There, I told I you I'd quantum- be useless at this. Yeah, shut up. I don't even think uh, quantum chemistry was invented when Martha Stewart was going through university, to be honest. <laughs> Arik, come on. Um, most was, powerful woman in the world. Most powerful woman in the world. It's not, it's not, uh, is it uh, Angela Merkel? Oh, get it right. Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel? <laughs> da, 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 da. I need to get that style of the century money card where it spins around. I need to get that. I got um, it. I got music. it. You got it. Congratulations. Woo! Yes. Angela Merkel. <laughs> How did I think Martha Stewart before? It was close. It was, it was definitely close. 
It was close. I thought Luther and Pastor like America. Like yeah, I just I, had I, America. Did, I did too. I, had, I did too. You know, so apparently, um, apparently, uh, I didn't realize she did Vladimir quantum physics. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, she no no quantum chemistry. She did a degree in physics and then her doctorate in quantum chemistry. Wow, I have um, actually heard that. It doesn't sound that. right to me. It should be quantum physics, but maybe quantum chemistry is a thing. As someone who did a degree in chemistry, I probably should know this, but I don't. Um, there was an interesting thing that I picked up on and that Vladimir Putin knew about her fear of dogs. And when wow. they had a meeting, he brought his black dogs into the meeting just to like freak her out. It was like a total power trip. He's so And there's tough. this photo of her sitting on the chair, just like looking, oh. Anyway, yeah, Putin, so tough. What so a man. tough. <laughs> just bringing the dogs. Just bringing the dogs. Bringing the bringing the Dobermans. <laughs> they weren't Dobermans, they were Labradors. It's quite funny. Oh, that is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> if a Labrador's going to bite you, maybe you'd train them to Russian Labradors biting Labradors. Just, yeah, just bringing bringing like an entire football team worth of Cocker Spaniels just behind Putin. Black, that's right, black Cocker Spaniels. <laughs> Fighting cocker spaniels. Um, all right, congratulations, Arik. Angela Merkel. We'll reach out to her this week. I'm sure she'll be wrapped. Uh, let's uh, have a quick break, and then we will get into the first album of the night. So the first album we're going to look at is the new Floating Points, Pharaoh Sanders and the London Symphony Orchestra collaboration titled Promises. So Sam Shepard, known professionally as Floating Points, is a British electronic music producer, DJ musician. He's the co-founder of Eglo Records, which I didn't know. I don't know why I didn't know that. And leader of uh, the 16-piece group called Floating Points Ensemble. Raised in Manchester, England, Shepard studied piano uh, at Chetton School of Music before receiving a PhD in neuroscience and, and epigenetics genetic, epigenetics at the University College of London. He also worked as a DJ at Plastic People uh, in the late 2000s. Shepard's musical influences include Debussy, uh, Bill Evans. He began releasing work under the Floating Points moniker in 2008. And that's when I came across him in 2009 with the Vacuum Boogie EP, which I really loved at the time. Uh, Ferro Sanders, what do we say about this guy? Um, he's an American jazz saxophonist, a member of John Coltrane's group of the mid-60s. Uh, Sanders is known for his overblowing harmonica and multiphonic techniques on the saxophone, as well as his use of the sheets of sound that Coltrane pioneered. 
He's released over 30 albums as a leader, has collaborated extensively with uh, Leon Thomas and Alice Coltrane, among others. Um, saxophonist, uh, saxophonist Ornette Coleman described him as probably the best tenor player in the world. Sanders' music has been called spiritual jazz due to his inspiration in religious concepts such as karma and his rich meditative aesthetic. This style is seen as a continuation of Coltrane's works on albums such as A Love Supreme. As a result, Sanders is considered a disciple of Coltrane's, whereas Albert Ayler said, Train was the father, Pharaoh was the son, and I am the Holy Ghost. And of course, the London Symphony Orchestra, Orchestra are the London Symphony Orchestra. Do we need to say anything about them? Probably not. Anyway, this album was released a few weeks ago, so let's dig into it. Arik, do you want to go first on this? Yeah, happy to. Um, I think it's a really interesting one in so much as, uh, I guess, how the record gets credited. Um, Really, there's three very distinctly different parties to this album. And um, I just found it interesting as to where, like, my ears kind of went to. I've been listening to this on repeat um, since it came out. Um, and I can safely say I, I absolutely love it. Um, and and we've spoken about this before in relation to like like context for music. Um, for me, this is just absolutely right in my kind of you know yeah yeah classical German yeah like, tempo. That's right. Classical. You know, I mean, it's just it's the stuff that you know relaxes me, calms me down. Um, it's in- incredibly meditative and. Uh, just just really really beautiful but I think the thing that really pops up for me is that um, you know being a Floating Points fan before this record is that really the thing that really set it up for me the most was that was the kind of the Floating Points soundscape sort of stuff um, just by way of context I was uh, shown Floating Points by a friend of mine named Jonathan Griffiths uh, He's a Swedish Englishman who I met in Granada when I was living there, um, and then I, uh, and then we actually had a really, really fortuitous crossing of paths when I was travelling through Europe in, at the uh, end of 2018, and I said, "Hey, Jonathan, I'm going to be in Berlin. I'm going to be in Berlin, and I really want to go to one of those nude saunas." And he said, "Sure, I'll <laughs> see you there," um, and. There he was. He showed up, and we had a date with one of those. I guess what are they? Are they sauna? A nude date. A nude sauna yep. date, and I met him yep. at his sister-in-law's. So, like, his wife's sister's house, and he said, "You have to listen to this Floating Points record. It was recorded in the desert, and uh, it was recorded in the Mugave <laughs> Desert." And I listened to it, and I was like. This is really fucking cool. I really want to hear the desert. And I didn't hear the desert. And I was actually like, <laughs> yeah. that was a really cool tagline. Um, yeah. But it just sounds like a recording. Anyways. I've got some money. You know what would be cool if we went to the desert? That's right. That's right. Desert. It's very Josh Homme. But like, oh, that'd be so cool. But like, you know. <laughs> or what's the or Wolf Mother where they did yeah, that film yeah. clip, Joker and yeah. the Thief in the Desert. That's right. So look, I, I digress. Not. So that's, um, that's what got me into Floating Points. And I've had the Mojave Desert record saved in my in my music since then um so i was really really excited when i saw this come out i was like well that's a weird collaboration i mean these guys are sort of like 
I guess, experimental noise art sort of stuff with Ferris Sanders. So, like, my first gut reaction was, oh, God, this is going to this is gonna suck. Um, and and I was really pleasantly surprised. I loved it. I mean, was you meant, you kind of gave it, a, you know, maybe a little sort of uh, tongue-in-cheek little hit saying, you know, the one sort of progression for eight songs, which it 100% was. It was incredibly meditative. Um, I think I said that off uh, off camera. <laughs> but, you know. Well, for the record, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll probably get yeah, yeah. <laughs> so look, I mean, I, like I loved it. I mean, I think it would be. I don't think it's really relevant to kind of go through a track by track listing. It's basically no. <laughs> it's basically put it on. And, uh, and then turn it off and hopefully you feel something at the end, which I did. I felt like, I don't know, I felt it really, really dreamy. Uh, you know, the London Symphony Orchestra thing, again, maybe like just, I don't know, it's hard to, to say whether this is in there just to sell records because you kind of feel like, well, you could have just achieved that with like, I don't know, fucking yeah. string synths. Anyone. You know what I mean? Like how much money yeah. would have been spent on the yes. London Symphony Orchestra for that session? It's like... Yes. Yes. You know, so, but then again, um, do you know what I said, Arik? I, I, I said, what the hell were they doing there? Like, <laughs> do, when they said London the London Symphony Orchestra, did they mean that they got the vibes player and they got a sample of a loop, which meant they had to credit the whole orchestra? Maybe. Or, no, but, or are they going to call like, are they going to call like one note Boeing? Like, was, yeah. like, and with some room, with some room mics up after the rehearsal, a rehearsal, like a meaningful contribution. I've got a feeling. Like, I, seriously, I've got a, did it need to be there? I've got. What the hell with the London Symphony Orchestra doing? Look, I've got a feeling. Basically, was you can't just pick and choose your players. It's like you just kind of go. <laughs> yeah. We want. Uh, we you want, want one of us. That's you, right. You got to get that's all right. of I us. I want the. I want the the double bass player from the from the London Symphony Orchestra, and they're like, well, that'll cost you yeah. forty five thousand um, <laughs> dollars. Yeah. Hey, if you want one of us, we all have to be on the session and we all get union that's rates, right, okay? Exactly. So that's just how it is. A hundred percent. But you know what I reckon? Yeah. I reckon, like, I mean, I'd love to do a bit of research here, but this to me sounds like an arts grant sort of situation where maybe like some London mm. thing has gone, you know what, Ferris Hours is in town, let's get him to collab with, you know, the London Symphony Orchestra and fuck, Floating Points are really cool, they did that thing, it's, you know what I mean? I reckon this is government. Oh, it's cross-generational. It's cross generational. Yeah. I, I reckon this is 100% government money because there is no commercial operation on the planet that would go, we're going to we're gonna get the <laughs> London Symphony Orchestra to play on this ambient sax record. Yep. One note, one note, come Anyways, on. I think you're, I anyway. think you're possibly both missing if i may say missing go, the, go, go. the point here that it's possibly the most baller move of all time to hire the london symphony orchestra and wait six movements to use them yeah yeah that's right <laughs> where, where they just did a little bit of a build-up i mean come on but i want to say on. for the record that i mean where do you start i think this is possibly like one of the records of a decade for me. Like it's so, mm. it's such a spectacular, spectacular piece of work. I listened to it properly when it came out. Um, I was waiting for a session start and I got interrupted in like the second last movement. But so I sat down last night and gave it another proper listen and took some notes of what I wanted to talk about. And like, I mean, I've got a million notes that I could run through, but I well, just let's hear them. No, okay. let's hear them. We've got it. We've run got through your yeah. top twenty. Yeah. Give it. Give us. Give uh, us. What I, what, the most interesting thing is, I don't know if you saw Giles Peterson posting about it when it came out, but he dedicated a whole show to it on BBC, like a whole 
show episode of his BBC show and he played the whole record and he wrote this massive blurb about it. And apparently Pharaoh doesn't collaborate with people anymore, really. Like he doesn't work with people. Um, he doesn't guest with people. Uh, and, apparently, and, and I hark back to RX point. I hark back to RX point, Lewis. It's obviously government grant money. I That's why. don't. I'm I don't joking. know about that. I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm joking. Sorry. Apparently, apparently Sam, like, uh, pretty tirelessly worked to build this relationship to, like, encourage this collaboration. So um, Sam is Sam ages. is from Floating Points? He's Floating Points. Sam point. Shepard, Floating, floating Points. Point. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. This It's, like, I'm kind of glad we started with it, but also, like, we're, I'm peaking early in this episode, I think. No, tell, me, like, tell us about it, Lewis. What did you um, like about it? I mean, it's the, the. I mean, it's simultaneously like incredibly meditative and immersive. Uh, the feeling of the room, like that, you can. There's, there's so many layers to it of it being uh, incredible piece of electronic music and ambient electronica, whilst also in some way it's like John Cagey, like those moments of like silence when you can just hear like the creaking of the of the piano yeah, stool that was or nice. whatever it's pretty incredible but then like i had one note that i still remember um at uh like movement eight i think it is or movement six where they where the strings really yeah that's right here i said um movement six where the strings really get going i said even if the first 30 minutes were trash it would be worth it for this <laughs> yeah yep. like that moment where they where he really explores the harmony that is and the emotion that's capable that a string section like that is capable of creating is like unreal like totally unreal i've never heard anything like it short of you know those incredible like cinematic kind of orchestral works um but also the thing i found really interesting was the first 30 minutes or so he's clearly utilizing parts of the orchestra that you wouldn't expect like the you know all the like keyboard instruments and percussive instruments and um i was really surprised it just took me totally by surprise like when i heard the record was coming out i was expecting from the word go lush strings wailing saxophone some dense harmony like floating points is incredible for that and he's worked with strings before like that but um yeah it just totally totally took me by surprise and then the journey it's just unreal it's unreal. Yeah. I mean, we can get deeper into bit by bit. Um, oh, like, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, a question to you, Lewis, kind of, you know, with your with your kind of competition ear and, you know, as a collaborator, as someone that, you know, sits in lots of different projects, how do you reckon, like, I mean, there's no knowing, but how how do you reckon that music got, got written? Like, who do you reckon yeah, led that's, it? Yeah, that was one of the big questions I had about it, like, I wrote another note, like, I have so many questions. Who's playing keys? How much was pre-written? Is Sam conducting it? Are they improvising it? Like, is there a s- score that they're following? Well, you, like, you, you'd, that's you'd think so that, interesting to me. Like a symphony orchestra, from my experience, just playing with orchestra players is like, it's pretty hard to just go, just jam, yeah. guys. Like, there's got exactly. to, things so, have to be pretty organised. So Giles at one point in when he did that epic post about it, he said, like, I've always thought that Sam should be a conductor. So it made me think that maybe he was up there, like, leading the band, like, conducting the orchestra, which is 
So wild. I mean, yeah, yeah, it must have been scored out. Like a bunch of it must have been. I've, I'm sure it was quite like neoclassical, contemporary classical in the scoring where there's, you know, a lot of like directed mm. stuff and a lot of more abstract notation and instrument and, you know, direction. Um, the other thing that I'd be curious to know is if it was like, was it a live thing or was it a, you know, multi-track it thing? It must have been. No, okay. it must have been live in a room. There's no, I can't imagine that they would multi-track something like that, especially with all those moments where you can like, I mean, I think that's almost like a statement in itself. It's like at points I was like, are we hearing the London Symphony Orchestra sitting quietly mm. and like the energy of that? Or yeah. Like, it's almost like you can feel you can, the you can hear that. in the yeah. air. You totally can. Like, and you, you, yeah. And there's just a couple of moments. I mean, there's so many moments in this record, but there's a couple that really like, hit me the moment with the organ where like towards the end where it's like an organ solo moment and the organ's beautiful that that hammond playing in the background is so lovely also the thing i loved about it was it's so like opposite to organ playing like i play a lot of organ Mm. and there's so many tricks and things you do on the organ that have become like typical organ things and none of those were present it was really like raw simple kind of but you really hear what an organ through Leslie kind of sounded like and how special that is. Yeah. I mean, the interesting part for me was like, actually it's more about the composition and the orchestra and the sound design and the abstract kind of um, writing for me than Pharaoh himself. Like obviously Pharaoh is so spectacular, but for me it was more yeah. about floating points and the orchestra actually. Mm-hmm. What about you, Was? Hmm. Okay. Um, so like when I started listening to it, I thought, do you, do you know, you know, that feeling that you get as a songwriter when you have one of those chord progression ideas that it's just so on the money that you don't want to ruin it by going away from it. But pretty soon you're like, you're stuck in that loop of playing the same progression on a cycle and you just can't get out of it. That's what this felt like to me when I first started listening to it. I'm like, it was I just thought it was a classic case in my head, like you, Lewis, I was expecting something completely different than what what we got when I put it on. And I initially, I just wanted it to be, I wanted so much more from this collab and not just that four-note sequence looped for 46 minutes. And like, and if you were to tell me that it was a soundtrack to some sort of French cinematic auteur comment on you know the relationship between you know multi-dimensions and subatomic particles i'll be like oh yeah of course like i get that but like (laughs) it it wasn't and like i just i felt like initially i wanted more so look having said that like after i wasn't going to give it another listen and then i did and then i gave it a third listen and by the time i got to the third listen I'd, i'd totally reorientated to what it was that I was hearing and like I reached a place where I just started to listen to it as a piece of music in a way that, you know, we had to, when we listened to the Archie Shepard and Jason Moran album on um, the last episode of Arik, um, and, and after that reorientation, you realize it's quite literally beautiful, like stark, yeah, yeah, yeah. but beautiful. Um, and if I had to describe it to someone, like if someone asked me what this album's about, I, I would say that like, it sounds like, like I'm sitting in a glass building on top of a cliff overlooking the ocean while outside there's like a terrifying storm occurring and the waves are smashing against the rocks yeah. below. 
And you know, you feel the majesty of Mother Earth presenting herself to you with the, with her devastating power. And meanwhile, you're standing like safe inside this glass cocoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and this album is the soundtrack to that moment. That's and Mother if, if, uh, and Mother Earth got dressed up for the occasion. You know, the one thing that really hit me, I've got to say, about this is like one of my first notes was like, "There's no blag here." Like there's no, there's no trying to be something. There's no, it's just like superbly honest. That's what I thought. And they, and that first 30 minutes of sp- kind of sparse orchestration is really a testament to how like honest the record is. There's nothing to prove. Like all participants have nothing to prove. And it really translates for me. And like I knew that people would come away from this and say like, when I first heard it, I was like, people are just going to focus on the fact that it's one motif through the whole thing. But, like, you get the payoff. They seriously come through with the goods halfway through. Like, that string writing is spectacular. Yeah. And the climax just before movement eight or movement seven, yeah, just before movement seven, that climax is, like, unreal. I was, like, sitting there on the verge of tears. Like, I was having a physical reaction to how, in a way that only strings can do to you, I find. Hmm. And real strings. I've got a question for both of you about this. I mean, but you know, I I mean, it's it's a it's a I guess a moot point because we do know who made the record. But I wonder whether we all came at this with a different lens, knowing who's involved in the record. So if it was a a, an eight part movement, which has you know some, I guess. And I'm, this is not shitting on it, but I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate, which is like an eight-part movement with one motif with some really great string payoff at eight, you know, movement eight, and a, a really great tenor sax player <laughs> and some electronics. Would you do that for anyone else? Like, w- like would, would you sit through it? You know what I mean? Or, or is yeah. there an expectation yeah. that is kind of influencing how we approach a record like are, this. are you saying if it didn't have those names on it, Arik, would we yeah. have, would we do this? If to, it, it, to an it, album it, you like know, like I totally agree test. with that. What, you comment. know, the, what's the what's the yeah. oh, I think you're, double blind. I think you're 100 percent right. I think you're 100 percent right. Like I I don't listen to a lot of orchest- like or- orchestral modern classical music, but I love floating points. So mm. that that history of all the music that he's made as an electronic artist informed informs this record like really clearly but also definitely informs me wanting to listen to it because sure. because i know that it's going to be a melding of that world and it 100 percent paid off for me like that uh, was incredible to hear especially his last record and eliana the one before the way you can hear remnants of that the you know abstract electronica um yeah uh, yeah i can't say enough good things about this it was like it's one of my favorite records of the year i reckon Hey, Eric, if they had said um, it was Cinematic Orchestra with Ferro Sanders, I would have, like, snapped into what this was straight away. Like, this would have been totally that. It was just the floating points thing that that threw me off. But the other thing I'd like to say before we move on to the rating is that, um, look, Ferro Sanders is still a complete titan of the spiritual jazz scene, even at his age. And there were times that you would sit back and you would just imagine this is what, Coltrane would have sounded mm. like as an old man, and it was it was beautiful. Yeah, and his lyricism was beautiful. And you know, even at the start, you just thought maybe he's struggling a little bit, but he wasn't at all. Like that, it was completely planned, and then he just elaborated as it, as it went on, and it was stunning. So I 
you know, we haven't talked about him at all. I don't understand. Like I was every 10 minutes or five minutes was expecting to be bored and I just couldn't understand how I was engaged. You know, like I have a, Mm. I have a short attention span like anybody else with listening to, you know, but for some reason it's like, it just kept me in there. And, and also I don't listen to a lot of avant-garde jazz. So it's not almost Mm. most of this record wasn't my world really, but like, it just kept me in there every moment. I was like hooked, totally hooked. I don't understand how. I wouldn't say it. It's not avant-garde jazz. Like I mean, it's floating points doing his version of avant-garde jazz. So that's why. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Where how he's playing. Ah, Arik, did did you agree with that? Were you thinking that um, you know, if it hadn't have been those names, you would have felt the same way? Well, like this was sent this this track this uh, record was sent to me by my girlfriend actually, and she like she didn't say floating points and she didn't say um, London Symphony Orchestra, and she said you know oh you should review the new Ferris Sanders record, and like immediately my head was like ugh, tennis saxophone mm. record. <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I was, like, immediately, like, not kind of enthused. And then I was like, oh, funny points. Oh, yeah, that reminds me of that time that, you know, I went to that sauna in Berlin. And then, um, <laughs> um, and then uh, you know, I chucked it on. And, um, yeah, look, as I mean, similar to your experience was, uh, it, you know, first go, I was like, yeah, it's kind of cool, you know. And then, but I had to sit and listen. And, and by the time I went through second listen... It just became like this is the music I'm being I I put put on before bed and you know I love it. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, the pretty uh, pretty uh, diverse range of opinions on this record was. Why don't we uh, go to go to the rating scale for the week? Well, let's go to the rating scale. As long as the rating scale tonight is going to be about bro dates at onsens, because like I'm feeling this. <laughs> well, uh, I hope. I uh, look. I mean. Look, let's just wait and see where we get to, right? So, um, <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to throw it to Arik to the uh, for the rating scale for this evening. Arik, take it Thank away. Thank you, Waza. So, uh, each week on the All Music Is Good podcast, we like to uh, basically celebrate our unofficial podcast sponsor. The unofficial podcast sponsor could be a thing, it could be a place, it could be a concept, um, but fundamentally, uh, whoever is sponsoring this podcast doesn't know that they're sponsoring this podcast and uh, obviously has contributed nothing to the recording or taping of this podcast except good vibes, uh, you know, not even realising that they are a part of you know, contributing these good vibes. So um, we've had an illustrious list and it is a special list and I hope that uh, once again this week we um, we really g- give give the, the public an opportunity to, you know, either access something new or, you know, learn something cool. So without, uh, without any further delays, I'd like to uh, introduce this week's unofficial podcast sponsor, Techie people that have the patience to set up baby boomers with integrated home AV systems. Oh my! The people we deserve, we need, not deserve. The people we so need. is this a company or is this just just people in general who like are techie and then they help people set up well things? We're gonna get to that. Was that would be we're me? Gonna get, we're gonna okay. get to that. Was us? So the most um, patient people in the world. The most patient people in the world. So just to repeat, techie people that have the patience to set up baby boomers with integrated home AV systems. And uh, for some context, my 80-year-old uncle lives uh, a 45-minute drive from my house in Hyatt, Mm. which is just down the Nepean Highway. 
And um, in Melbourne, yeah, Australia. in Melbourne, Australia. And um, of late, I've uh, filled a really important key position in his world, which is being the tech solution guy for his four TVs, two oh, wireless headphone God. systems, one Foxtel box, and streaming services on demand boxes. Uh, what are you charging these days, are Well, uh, oh, look, I've been doing it all. I've been doing... Uh, it's... Uh, what is it called? In-kind. In-kind. Blinces, is it? What? It's okay. an in-kind contribution. Um, okay. And uh, look, just just for some background on my uncle, is Uncle Benny. Uncle Benny uh, is a is a mechanic by trade. So every, every piece of gear has been modded in his home with his own little customizations. Um, right. So you can imagine... When I go over to sort out, you know, why the this TV is not doing the this to the that, I've also got to kind of deal with like ball bearings from, you know, Holden Commodores from 1987 that have somehow been <laughs> fashioned into the uh, into the design. Um, so why do you have this copper wire around the optical that's cable? That's right. Well, he'll, he'll have a justification. From the alternator. That's right. Exactly. Why is the alter- Why do you have an alternator connected to the television? Um, <laughs> anyways, um, so this uh, this this concept podcast sponsor came about um, due to my uncle Benny uh, wanting to watch a new HBO series about the 1973 Yom Kippur War, which was a war in Israel, um, and the. Uh, <laughs> The show's called a famous battle. Yeah, it's a famous, famous battle, and the uh, one of the famous. Yeah, the ones. HBO series is called Valley of Tears. Um, Not as famous as the Egyptian. Well, there's a few. The there's a few. And, you know, we, we are talking about Naga Eras later, so there's a bit of context here. Um, okay. And uh, basically, uh, he, you know, basically, the the challenge was to try get a streaming service that isn't Netflix or Stan up and going on four distinct different systems is quite a challenge. So um, mm-hmm. long story short, I attacked the problem in a few ways. Um, so first step was I got him set up with Foxtel Showcase and um, and uh, that's a $20 a month subscription. Um, but the problem mm-hmm. is it's not on demand. So we had to go through the TV guide and we'd missed episode one and episode two. So we actually had to go through the TV guide and set him up on a pre-record from episodes three through to episodes twelve, so that was our first workaround. So that that was basically him being able to watch uh, his HBO series in his bedroom on his wireless headphones. Setup. I thought you said you're going to keep this short, <laughs> long story yeah, short, right? And then, um, yeah. But the issue that we had there was um, that, like, that wasn't dealing with the uh, the living room, the two the two televisions in the living room. So um, the next the next situation was we couldn't actually he doesn't have a Chromecast so we couldn't get anything happening on the living room set so I was like you know what let's get it happening in the study on your computer so then uh, but then the issue was the computer speakers were too soft because he's half deaf and um, and the, the wireless headphones stuff doesn't work. In the computer right, area. I'm getting anxiety. I'm getting anxiety. <laughs> yeah, cool. about right. it. Thank you, Lewis. At least, at least there's one person <laughs> yeah. that's engaged. So next yeah. up, um, we jumped in his car and I was like, you know, why don't... Oh, oh, make it I, end. Right? I was like, why don't we go to JB Hi-Fi and buy no. you some big fuck off massive computer speakers with a huge sub that we can put in your, um, oh. in your study... 
and then as well some headphones that are not wireless. So we did that. So we had basically two out of three going, but the last two we we had a problem with. Anyways, um, months earlier, I was at my friend's house with his boomer parents, and we were trying to watch the Tim Zoo fight um, from at the end of last year, and we couldn't get the streaming service happening. And I was like, um, I was like, is there someone to call? And they were like, yes, we've got a guy. His name's David. And I was like, get the fuck out. Can I have that phone number? Not for tonight, but like for the rest of my life. And they gave me David's yeah. phone number. I believe it's a. Um, he's got an office in uh, in the Docklands. And David uh, mm. David went and visited. Uncle Benny and Auntie Barbara last Thursday, and apparently we've yeah. got a solution. We've got a solution. Now I don't I, cool. I don't know what the solution is. Cool. End of story. Woo-hoo. But that is the unofficial podcast sponsor for the week. David. David, David. is David the, sponsor? the David techie legends. person that has the patience to set up baby boomers with integrated home AV systems. Yeah, but Thanks. he's only been doing it for two weeks. How do we know he's got the I patience? Think he's, good. he's got track record. Okay, he's got an office at the Docklands. Yep. I mean, how many offices has he got around Melbourne? Who knows? That could be a rating scale. Is he good? How much patience does he have? I reckon- Thank you for helping me relive my uh, electronic PTSD, helping my parents set their computer, various yeah. computers up. Thank you. Well, I reckon, I reckon fundamentally it could be how many phone calls you receive helping your you know elderly relatives open an email attachment or how many... Um, phone calls you receive helping your elderly parents tune into their favourite program. That could be so. It could be number of phone calls. See, it could. Okay. If we go that way, though, Eric, we're going to have to do the reverse rating scale again because zero phone calls will be the That's best right. <laughs> if they don't call you at all. I'm happy. I'm happy to go. The, I'm happy to go the. Um, oh no, I've got. I, I, I've got it. I've got it. How about Let's this? How about this? Was? How, hard, how about how many yeah. times? the old person mm. on the other end of the phone says, hold on, wait a minute, let me try that to the person <laughs> giving them text support. So how many times they say like it's good? Is it a good thing? Yeah. Like hold that. on, hold on a sec, wait a sec, let me try that. And then a long pause. Have- <laughs> how long is the pause? Maybe that could be the writing scale. I, I, I think we're going to go. With, <laughs> I think I, I, Lewis, are we good with that one? Does that does that work for yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many? Right. How many? How many times you put on hold whilst you're whilst you're? Um, how many? Boom. Let me try that. How how, yeah. how many? Let me try okay. try that's care of the boomers. Do you? Yeah, uh, do you have more the better? Uh, right. That the means baby you've helped more. That's right. The more the better means the more you've <laughs> helped <laughs> more, which <laughs> means the the record is a high. Rating. Uh, is there and, a maximum? What's your um, like cutoff? I reckon. I reckon you've only got about four. I mean, four's about as <laughs> as high as you can go. We're gonna rate it out of four. Oh, fuck it. We're gonna rate albums out of four. Yeah, four's about about the level by which you just like look. I've oh, got to go. Jesus. I've got to go. Um. All right. So that's All it. Right. It's, it's four. Let's go. Yep. Yeah, All right. Work with that. Okay. Out of four, let me try that. Yep. You do it. You, you go. Okay. F- I'm gonna give. I'll go first. I'm gonna give this album. <laughs> Far out, like the 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 concept of you saying if this was somebody else doing this album, would I have cared so much about it? Like I totally agree that I wouldn't have. So, having said that, I'm going to give it two and a half out of four. I don't think like everyone's going crazy about this album, and like I don't 
I kind of get it, but on the other hand, I don't kind of get it. Lewis, I, I'm not calling. I enough. still. Uh, that's fine. I still. Uh, I I somewhat agree with you that if it was somebody else making this record, I wouldn't have cared about it. But that's kind of the point for me. Uh, all the history of <laughs> all the history of music informs this record for me. Uh, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it four. Let me try that. Whoa. Yeah. Da, 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 One of my favourite recent records, so yeah. Don't wow. worry, I won't go soft on Interesting. the rest, but yeah. Four out of four for me. <laughs> wow. Arik, give it to me. Um, look again, it's uh it's it's hard with this rating scale because it, you know, we often say there's stuff that you know deserves a ten, but um, you know, doesn't reach there, and then there's stuff that's like scored, scored much lower that you then becomes a part of your life. And I think this record is 100% a 2021 record for me. And um, and to that end, I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to give it. Uh, Whoa! Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's the one. It's the it's the it's the record I listen to the most this year. Um, not to say it's the record I like the most. It's just the mm. record that's doing something for me the most. So with that in yeah, mind, I'm going to give it a four. Let me try that out of a potential four. Wow. Yep. Love it. Amazing. All right. Well, that's two fours out of fours uh, and a two and a half out of four for the new album by Floating Points, Pharaoh Sanders and the London Symphony Orchestra titled Promises. second album we have for you is Cardi Tatum's An Insight to All Minds. Uh, so for those who don't know, Cardi Tatum is a legendary multi-instrumentalist, once dubbed the UK's Herbie Hancock by Benji B. He's a virtuoso on the keys and a true innovator in sound production as one of the original creators of the broken beat sound. Some say he's to broken beat like Tony Allen is to Afrobeat. He's, he's a legendary and seminal figure in the genre. Over the years, his musical prowess has blessed numerous projects, initially with the likes of Bugs in the Addict, The Herbalizer, and more recently with DJ Jazzy Jeff through the Playlist Projects, uh, Andrew Ashong on the acclaimed uh, Sankoda season EP last year, and with longtime accomplice Dego. This is in addition to session work for artists such as Mulatu Estake, Slum Village, Amy Winehouse, Soul to Soul, and Leroy Burgess, along with first world word label mates such as Eric Lau, Children of Zeus and Dark House Family. Uh, Cuddy is also a revered DJ known for his rockin' parties 
whilst his solo catalogue spans tons of EPs and releases for labels such as uh, 2000 Black, Eglo and Theo Parrish's Sound Signature. So for such a like giant on the scene, he hasn't been super prolific as a solo artist. Um, this is actually just his third long player. Um, but man, right from the opening track, um, uh, it's called Try and Follow. We are like so deep into Broken Beat Heaven. Yeah, Like yeah. bam, before it gives way, like, you know, we, we, we're there, we're there. And then yeah. it gives way to this slice of like 100 BPM, 80 synth bliss on intergalactic relations with this super long intro before it goes into this funky jam with all these cool flavored chords. And then the cool chords keep hitting you. And then you just, and it just carries you into Mongo Man, which gets even more denser and more chords and is deeper. And then we get like um, into this first vocal cut, like featuring uh, Umia, I think his name is. Um, and he gives a very sort of Q tip esque verse over this jilted hip hop off kilter time signature like track. Um, uh, that's called, was that called Chungo? I think that's Chungo. Yeah, that's Chungo. Um, I thought an insight to all minds was um, was a bit of a dip in quality songwriting wise, but like maybe it was more of a nod to some of the more seventies fusion style Herbie sort of vibes. But and it, but it felt a bit derivative to me that track. But then we're back into um, I've written DSX SWC Broken Beat Jam with mega cool bassline. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the kick drum on Rodney it was like so brutally awesome. And as two, you know, as a, you know, amateur producer to two, you know, really good producers, like, have a listen to that kick if you didn't notice it. Like, it was so intense that basically for the whole song, I was just vibing on the kick. Like, and then when it would drop out and then it would just come back in, it was like, oh, incredible kick drum um, sounds. Um, Rain, I've written Broken Beat with more chords. Love the flute towards the back end of the track. Um, could it be that reminds me of something you would do Lewis like crazy fusion broken beat with crazy out there stop scale runs and like and there's a bit of piano sort of sounds in there like going yeah that's something Lewis would freaking do um, so look I'm going to hand this over to the man who bought this album in for us tonight yeah no like, surprise I'm tipping, it was me yeah. I'm tipping it's going to be so far down his alley that they may as well name the alley after him like he's basically moved in and taken up residence on this album because like there's a lot of um, there's, there's so many chords there's so much broken beat like it's just a party it's a did good you, vibe because you, you didn't um, really know Kylie that well when I suggested no I didn't right? which is weird did you listen to it and just go like oh yeah no surprise there yeah yeah, absolutely. But like the the thing I found weird was when, when you don't know about guys who have had such a seminal influence yeah. on a scene and you live outside of that scene and then you discover them and who they're played with and then a whole you, – you're drawing lines to other lines yeah, and yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you're yeah. connecting you're connecting the dots and that what it, that's what it felt like for me listening to this album. I'm hearing a lot of Maven-style chords yeah, from yeah, Hiatus yeah. on stuff. You know, lots of, you know, that obviously, you know, links from Herbie – to Cardi and you know mm. and then we're all sort of you know yeah lines I, think off I had a similar experience when I first I think I discovered Cardi Tatum well before I moved to London but then really got deep in it because he's such a don in the English scene and he's also very mysterious like I went to We Out Here Festival in 2019 and um he was meant to play twice and he just didn't show like he just didn't he was meant to do two DJ sets and he just didn't show up and that was one of the reasons I was there to see him Uh, yeah I mean I don't know where do you start with this record I had a couple of funny notes I think I think uh, 
it's really interesting music because um, it's so harmonically dense. The thing that always hits me about yeah. Space Hatem is it's so harmonically dense, but he uses it almost like that sheets of sound thing with Pharaoh. Yeah. It's like it's like it almost doesn't matter. Like the it the chords just become melody. It just becomes like melody in five parts. Or yeah, rhythmical melody. Yeah. Totally. It's not it's not so much about the harmony, really, even though the harmony is really dense. And I think that's the reason he gets away with it. It's the reason that this is not boring and not for me anyway, and mm. not um like not a tasteless or like fusion, like nasty fusion. You know, it's very like mm. He kind of has this hectic, dense harmony going on, but really, what it's about is the groove. What it's about is like the pocket, yeah. and and I mean, the thing that's always drawn me to Broken Beat is that is the broke Broken Beat. Like you feel four to the floor the whole time without hearing it. That's what's so cool about the genre for me. It's like that's the art. The art of writing Broken Beat is that you can write a kick drum pattern or a drum pattern that that sounds like you're hearing four to the floor. And then when you actually think about it, this it's not four to the floor. Um, yeah. So it, it grooves, it grooves so hard. Yeah. I, don't, I think you, what you touched on with the sound, the, like his production choices as well for me, um, you know, and we'll get into the other records when we, when we get there. But for me, it's just like a whole other class of like production techniques and um, interest and ear candy going on in the production um you know for, uh, not just kick drums on that track but everything for me everything's very considered it all sounds really lush um yeah i had i had a, a i had a note at one point sorry i said oh uh, yeah anyway um i had a note that was like i can hear how people would say this sounds like lounge music but fuck that shit like it grooves so hard and it's so like yeah. It's yeah, I yeah, I can't say enough good things. It's it's there's um the other thing I wanted to say about it was the artwork's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. A, how good is the artwork with the astronaut? I love the artwork on this album as well. Yeah. Um, Arik, what do you recommend? I um I, I thought it was lounge. Yeah, it's like it's interesting. <laughs> it, no, no, no. It's, it is interesting, like hear, hearing your notes, Lewis, because um, you know, I like I I, I had a whole set of different feelings i listened to this twice today actually and I, once i listened to it accidentally on shuffle which was a fuck up on my behalf and then i listened to it i love that when that happens and then i listened to it again like from top to tail and you know the song the song that like was like whoa this is fucking cool was that, that got me started was intergalactic relations um the, the thing that kind of popped out for me was that the groove and the sound felt completely fresh combining stuff that you'd find on like that neon talk instagram page it's got this kind of there's a referential sort of vintage sound which is kind of sounds familiar but at the same time the the actual music the composition and the groove was totally not referential and felt completely new so mm. i think to, to achieve that is a pretty cool achievement um you know, there was just like the, like the, yeah, the shuffle, the groove, the way the drums sat was just amazing. Um, uh, so it started for me at, at uh, inter, Intergalactic Relations and then as I kept on going, the next bunch of songs kind of washed over me. I sort of didn't find myself hooking in. And then um, the song Could It Be came on and then like out of nowhere at 2 minutes 20 in that song, like a 
punch in the mouth. Um, they they <laughs> yeah, did yeah. this turnaround, which was like the most fucking hectic turnaround I've ever heard in yeah, my that life. Is so wild that moment. It yeah. is wild, and then and then yeah, and then yeah. it just kind of like totally shifts gear, and 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 now it feels like we're in like an Isaac Hayes kind of '60s psychedelia kind of land, and I'm like, this is bonkers. Like this is so yeah, unhinged, yeah, yeah. and and so not. Like it didn't feel like it was trying to sit in a genre or sit in a scene. It's just fucking. Yeah. It's like yeah, he was pushing boundaries. Don't you reckon there was some boundaries being totally. pushed on this album? For me, I think a lot about you know coming from the jazz world and growing up playing jazz and then creating in music that's informed by jazz. You are constantly thinking about how you push the genre and how the genre is moving forward. And nothing shits me to tears more than hearing people talk about the progression of improvised music as having stopped or nobody's creating and the same thing I, i've been getting deeper into the electronic music world and the same thing happens there where you know people talk a lot of smack about how nobody's made interesting techno in in yeah since 1995 nobody's made interesting house in 20 years like fuck that kaidi it's like the most incredible combination of jazz tradition incorporating house and all the music they've created in the broken beat scene and pushing it in new directions like yeah, it's for me like totally breaking new ground. It's also a really refreshing take on how to incorporate how to incorporate a jazz tradition into electronic music that um, doesn't mean soloing, mm. or, but also doesn't mean techie melody writing. That's the thing I love about it. Like, there's no like sometimes he's just playing a progression with a wild groove and it works. You don't feel the need to hear somebody soloing over the top of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think we referenced it when we reviewed the uh, Jasmine Sullivan album, Eric. When we, when you get someone who's so on top of their game, and they're just they've got all their years of experience, and then they just like, bang, we're we're doing it, like we're pushing it, and they know how to do it, and and it just flows so effortlessly, and that comes from the years of experience of doing it, and this is what this album is. I think this is this is a guy who's at the peak of his powers. Totally. Don't get me wrong. Like I have definitely listened to Cardi Records where it washes over me and I tune out. Like, I think that's kind of part of the sound though. Like it's not meant to necessarily be music in the same way that you like let ja a lot of jazz wash over you, you know, it's like, it's more an immersive experience that you're in the rhythm. You're listening to like, mm. all, like so many layers of rhythm, like seemingly kind of house electronic, um, percussive elements but then also on so many of those tracks it feels like there's like five people playing afro-cuban percussion on underneath yeah which you're not really noticing until everything else drops out and then you're like holy shit there's this whole world of rhythm going on under this tech kind of harmony you know so the question i have for both of you guys is is that do we think it's actually a good album as a player album like does it you know have a beginning a middle and an end or is it just you know a bunch of songs I'll jump in on that one I I um I found like you know for me it it, it was like three key moments in the record um intergalactic relations then could it be and then uh, another another track called stroke kayat um mm. And that, that that felt almost like that started to sit in, in a scene. And it's funny you talked about – I mean, fuck, we keep on talking about similar players on this podcast. It is to do, I guess, with how much we revere, you know, so many of our peers. But there was a swooping duck vibe 
on um on stroke height in a major way and it totally made me think far out like it's so cool we live in the city of melbourne where where things are yeah. kind of you know that this kind of sound is like accessible on a tuesday night um you know it's a it's a pretty cool thing <laughs> at the gasso. At the gasso. um but you know the tones sounded really similar like from the drum tones to the keys tones that just had a a really similar kind of vibe um and then and then there was this, you know, this beautiful pedal note at the end, which was almost like disco. And I just thought it was really fresh. Um, but the fundamental about the record overall is that it felt like each track is a journey and it kind of or- organically takes you to a very different place to where you started. But I think from a, like to answer your question was, as like a cohesive album, maybe a little bit too meandering. Maybe it would have been nice to kind of lock in to like, this is what I'm trying to say overall as one body yeah. of work as opposed to yeah, I'm trying to that. I would you know agree with that. yeah I'm trying maybe they should have just had like a four note loop and just played it for like 46 minutes <laughs> well you know that I mean it got four can, can you wait a minute it's on the rating scale yeah. so <laughs> um, let me try that let me try yeah. that sorry what about you was what did you think uh are you talking about from a rating yeah scale? I'm all just uh, from an, from an album it? point of view oh look it's a good it's a good question like um yeah, uh, look, generally my vibe is that I like it to have, yeah, as I said before, a beginning, a middle and an end and for an album to go somewhere. And that's the whole part of doing this podcast. Like we're looking at albums, you know, being albums like they once were and not just a bunch of songs and have some thought put into it. And, you know, if you want to think about it, the, the Ferris Sanders Floating Points album is a journey, you know, it takes you on a journey and this album doesn't do that so much, but I think I'm probably going to end up rating it higher th- <laughs> and I'm probably going to come back in 10 years' time and just uh, say, what the hell was I thinking? I gave Cardi Tatum more than Floating Points and Ferris Sanders album, like like the OK computer of the 2020s. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. what the frick? You're an idiot, man. But Can anyway, I just... Um, that's what I'm feeling Can tonight. I intervene just quickly on something you said? Because I, I, I think you may misspoken there for a sec I don't think we're necessarily looking for that kind of what albums used to be thing but I think what we're trying to no, do that's, that's what true. we're trying to do here is think about the album as a piece of work and um, yeah. and you know in response to a kind of sort of playlist Spotify generation where it's yeah. like you know so Correct. many albums yeah, exactly like and, and I think we tend to gravitate to albums that aren't just 12, 12 singles, which will be a really interesting point of discussion later on in this podcast. Um, okay. um, so to the – let me try that rating scale. I might go first. Yes. Um, look, okay. I don't know if this is going to get a run again for me, um, but, you know, again, it's just it's not the stuff that – I get down to, um, although I can appreciate it. I think I'll definitely play that song with a ridiculous turnaround at two minutes 20 to a, a, a few of my friends. Um, but overall, um, it's a it's a two. Um, let me just try that from, from a potential four out for me. Okay. Well, I'm going to go next. And, um, yeah, I'm going to – it basically wanted me – I wanted to go out and learn – a whole bunch. I want to learn every chord in the world. Like it's, it made me think, why the hell didn't I go to music school and learn every chord? Like, because like if I learned every chord, I could do this. Like, and I'm sure you probably could do this, Lewis. I can't do this, but it's just like it was blowing my mind. And, and it was. I'm glad you talked about, you know, that the rhythmical. It wasn't about how many chords. It was just about the groove because that was at one stage it was like. There's too many. <laughs> too yeah, many yeah, yeah. It's just crazy. Anyway, I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna give it three. 
three. What, what's the rating scale? I'll try that. I'm going to try that. Let three out of four. That. I'm going to try that out of four. Yeah, I thought so. It's really interesting because the first time I heard this, I did have that initial thought of as a record, uh, what do I think of it as an album? And funnily enough, actually, the tunes that are the most different on the record are my least favorite. Like all the 90 BPM hip hop stuff I can take or leave. I actually have, I, I, I like almost like I skip them. I don't really, I don't get down with them. But then when I sat down and listened to it and, and wrote down a few notes and like thinking about what we were going to talk about, it really, I really kind of um, started discovering so many more, so many layers of depth and subtle differences like within a genre and the way that he's playing with the broken beat thing and little variations. And for instance, like obviously the first couple of tracks are just like classic broken beat statement, but then Rodney down or even DSXSWC gets way more jazz. You start hearing like improvisational elements that maybe weren't there initially, but then Rodney is like, this particular brand of broken beat that I love, which gets way more over the bar line and is way less groovy, way less two and four and way more syncopated. And that feeling of like, where is beat one? I have, you know, it doesn't, but almost does it matter where beat one is? Like totally doesn't, yeah. doesn't matter yeah. at all. Um, and then into rain had like really classic Detroit house up front, you know, with good flute at the back end. Yeah. And so I think, but at the same time, it's all within a style in the same way that you listen to a, a bebop record and it sounds like if, you know, if, if it can just sound like 30 minutes of linear bebop. Like I think, so yeah. I totally understand how that, that uh, is a thing. But, yeah, I think also like um, for me, I think I listen to this record more as like a, um, an artistic statement in a general sense. And I love the like feeling of the, 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 what it does for the genre, what it does for jazz or that, like, I don't know if I'll listen to it every day for the next year of my life. Like it's definitely not, <laughs> it's definitely not up there with like my favorite records of all time. I will probably listen to the Ferris Sanders one more. Um, but yeah, there's just so many things about it that I love artistically and like and what he's doing. So I'd say three and a half. Let me try that's. Oh, he's a high marker. Yeah, no, like you, just got two of my favourite records, that's all. Like two records I really love. Don't worry, stuff's about to get real. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Okay, so that was uh, Cody Tatum's An Insight to All Mine. Can we get some more subs so he can feel it? Dum, dum, dummy, I'm no bunny, I'm no sloppy boy. I never beg for no money. Fun, fun, funny, you run from no irony, no iPod, no one, nobody. Chop, chop, chop it right hand, chop it like a pickpocket. You had the mic, now you can't drop it. Dum, dum, dummy, once nobody. I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, sit though. I don't know what really, really happens at the end of the road. Our third album for the week is by the artist Noga Erez and the album is called Kids. 
Erez grew up in Caesarea in Israel. She studied composition at the Jerusalem Academy of Music and Dance, and through her childhood, um, she explored different instruments and studied different styles of music. Erez was a part of different groups and ensembles as a vocalist, keyboardist, and percussionist. Um, when she turned 18, she joined, joined the military, which is a compulsory thing to do in Israel, and was actually in the Israeli Defense Forces military band. Um, in 2011, Erez worked on a jazz album, which she almost finished and then decided to scrap before moving into more electronic music. So the album we're looking at this week is Kids. Um, and I, I had a little bit of a, a read through some of the things that um, some people have written about it. So I'm going to kind of summarize it because I think this has captured it really well. So fundamentally, the the two main people on this record uh, is Noga Erez and her partner, uh, both romantic life partner and also music partner, Ori Russo. And um, fundamentally, uh, it's a it's a Tel Aviv record, made in Tel Aviv. Um, lots of the kind of, you know, the session dudes are also from Tel Aviv and it's a pretty small community over there. Interestingly, um, she came up in the Jerusalem scene and uh, I can talk a little bit about, there's like, you know, warring warring yeah. factions. Um, oh, the Tel Aviv and Jerusalem uh, it's, it's scene. Like, it's war? as bad as Sydney, Melbourne, like yeah, Melbourne 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the better scene? Well, I think, I mean, I mean what's I think the better scene? Know, I think we all know the answer to that question. Well, well, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> well, basically... What is well, it? Tel Aviv? Well, what is well, it? basically, Tel Aviv... The Tel Aviv scene is like got a much more of an international lens. Um, so, you're making music that you hope hope's going to pop somewhere else apart from Israel. And the Jerusalem scene mm-hmm. is way more like for like for the country so you it, it, it's it's often a bit more a bit more traditional it's, it's kind of, it's complicated but like uh, like the Jerusalem like you know having kind of jammed with a couple of Jerusalem heads and some Tel Aviv heads when I've been over there like the Jerusalem not together though uh, not together no 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 the Jerusalem crew are like just like in their own zone and the Tel Aviv crew are sort of chasing a sound that is a bit more you know from another country um whereas a Jerusalem, you know okay. it's a melting Jerusalem's a melting pot a much bigger melting pot of you know arab moroccan egyptian iranian iraqi kind of music makers and tel aviv seen a bit more wow. kind of with a european lens um but uh basically i think th- this record kind of captures a bit of that stuff um which i'll i'll talk about when i get to my review but just a couple of more um you know things that I'd read about it. You know, it's kind of introspective. It sort of speaks a lot to sort of some of the cultural cringe that I guess Noga might face internationally of being, a, a you know, an, an artist from Israel at a time where, you know, it's um there's, you know, boycotts of Israeli products, p- particularly around the, um you know, the political atmosphere. Um, and, mm. and I think all that stuff you hear on the record actually through the way it's made and through the writing. Um, so, you know, from a kind of like at a, at a sort of like press release level, it discusses things like, um, you know, the politics and growing up in a kind of fractured country and, you know, introspection and anxiety. And, um, and I think uh, when we get down to the actual tracks, uh, we can discuss that further. But one thing that I read in an interview is that... Um, like the, like her like her as an artist wasn't really received super well on her first album in Israel um and in fact she kind of went over to Europe and that's where it really was happening for her and she said it's like um 
she basically said, you know, Israel's a good place to experiment with things because it's a small place. It's got a very Middle Eastern atmosphere, but it's incredibly Western and incredibly influenced by the American culture. Um, and I think that's a really, really good summary of like ha- what this record feels like. Um, so I might just mm. get 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 yeah. into what, what's your history. Oh, uh, well, we've got the same pub- we've got the same publisher. Um, okay. <laughs> Here we no, go. Shameless. It's all good. There's no, there's no beef. But you North know, I was asshole. yeah, yeah. Look, I was, I was, I was. Um, there was two. Th- I was heading over to Israel, and I was like, "Fuck," you know, like this is a really cool opportunity. You know, as you know, someone who grew up speaking Hebrew at home with Israeli parents, I was really, really keen to like meet them and hang. And I never heard anything back. But I did like see. Them. I did see them. I did see them from my balcony um, when I was in Tel Aviv, and I was like, "I'm, I'm, I'm." I'm 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 not 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 happy about this, um, and then uh, and then um, and then I've you know I've spoken to some some other Tel Aviv musicians and some other Jerusalem musicians and you know basically it's a you know Tel Aviv Jerusalem thing is complicated, um, but yeah go ahead was what were you going to say? Well, who was that other person that you were trying to hook up with in New York? Who was your cousin that you discovered you were related oh, to? Oh, Selma Sel- Blair. Oh, Selma Blair. Yeah. Did that ever happen? No, no, Did she fucking she, she goes to me too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dog um, errors and stuff. It's just like a fucking graveyard of broken dreams over here. The only person that takes my calls is Wazza. Um, so, anyways, um, we'll talk about the re- here to pick up the broken pieces. Got it, thank you. You know that's why I love you. Um, so to talk about the record, um, this was a really complicated listen for me um, because I was incredibly conflicted and really trying to kind of not sort of trying. Think about the ghost. No, not so yeah, much yeah. that, but like think about like why it why this project is doing what it's doing, and um, what is it? Well, doing? Well, I think fundamentally, if I was to kind of like try and summarize this in like a one sentence, I'd say it's a mashup record, which is just basically mm. two creative people experimenting with like their favorite sounds. Um, the problem, I I think that exists in the record is that it's it's centered around an individual and as such i really struggled to find the individuality in the record um it it sounded like dope production a singer that was kind of experimenting with multiple different personas and vocal tones and accents um which all fucking sounded great um but then i was like I just I like and then then when you kind of think about like it's a small country trying to hit an international market it's like well of course you're going to just do whatever you know you're going to try whatever you can I mean how are you going to break through so I I feel at the at the at the at the deepest level that there's like this incredible um self-consciousness um in this album but the production is fucking awesome and the like and and the the phrasing of the vocal is amazing and the sounds are cool and there's a whole like swagger and a world to it. And then I'm just yeah. like, and I don't believe any of it. Um, and, and that's, <laughs> what you know. Yeah. That, what do you say when you mean that they're trying to break through? What well, are they trying to break through to? I think like, you know, if if you're like an artist in a small market that might have a particular sort of reputation, it could be something like, well, it's going to be world music or it's going to be um, 
Okay. You know, uh, music from another language. And then you're like, well, I grew up listening to like American pop and like cl- yeah. English club music. And then you kind of make that in your very, very small country. And people locally might be like, this isn't our music. And then people internationally is mm. like, well, it's trying to be our music, but it's they're not from here. Mm. And I think that, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. to there me- There was some super, super derivative moments. Right? The record. Yeah, it's conflicted. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, yes. then, yeah. but then I did find that there were some real highlights and like- um, you know, I guess like, you know, you've got, I mean, the big single is, uh, what's it called? Views. And I think it's a, it's a f- really fun song. It, <laughs> That's the one with the uptown funk build up. Yeah. 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 It, it, no, it's uptown funk meets gorillas, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, no, I got the gorillas so thing, yeah. I said that too. I got you gorillas know, written down but, too. Yeah. But, it, you know, and, and it, but it fucking like, it bounces and, you yeah, know, yeah, like to, to, to take my kind of like, you know, to take the over and, and analysis out of it i'm like this this is cool um but yeah i had this track bangs written in capitals right it does yeah and it's a big single and i think she's playing kimmel like literally right now so i reckon that we're going to see that on the television tomorrow okay um and you know awesome. it's going to be a big record i mean it's city slang released it it's a big berlin label she's got a big buzz in europe um yeah, i'll just right. I'll, I'll just finish the last bit and then um and then i might throw to you guys but um, mm. what I, what I did like was, um, there was one song where I finally felt that like we were listening to the artist and the artist's story without it trying to be something. And it wasn't actually like a brilliant song, but it was the first time on the record where I was like, okay, cool. Like, I feel like I'm with these two music creators in their, you know, loft apartment making hearing them make music and the song was called story and it was kind of looking at anxiety and drinking too much coffee and and it just felt that song to me felt like the most natural even though it it wasn't the standout song on the record um you know and then you know you keep going through it there's mia references in there there's you know uh, there's just there's like there's you know there's Billie Eilish references in there like it's just yeah. this kind of non-stop collage of music that they're into and you know on the one hand like why shit on that I mean isn't that what we kind of all do we you know make music that we're into so that's yeah, a, that's, that's that's a cool that's a cool thing yeah that's a cool thing to do but then yeah. again like in in the realm of like trying to create like a like some kind of pop masterpiece. It feels like, you know, like the, I, I would liken it to like say, so when Beyonce makes a record and she's like an auteur, which is like, she, you know, the author of the vibe and it could be 18 songs that all sound completely different but her her herself as a presence basically mm. commands that she can do that kind of thing and I think for a kind of artist that's kind of coming up perhaps like approaching it from an auteur point of view might be overly ambitious so I'd park that one over there and then I'd say from like a I just want to do my my music kind of position then I'd go that's kind of cool but I think because it sits in a pop release space it's it's judged with a bit more scrutiny um, so that's fundamentally my review and I'll throw it to you guys. I had, I was, I'm going to, can I jump in? I had so much to say about this record. Like I, yeah, it was a real ride actually for me. The start, I really was into it and then, and then it was a roller coaster. But one thing that kept really hitting me was I just kept drawing this comparison to Rosalia. I don't know if you heard that record. I think it's like Yeah, 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 record. yeah, yeah. Amazing record. Um, 
in, like one of my favorites. I only discovered it last year. It was one of my favorite records of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, it was a really similar thing of like uh, somebody from, you know, she's from Europe, but in this case, um, uh, in this case, we're talking about Israel. The, the combination of like really clear American influences, but then with uh, all this history of folk music and history of, um, you know, music from a different continent. But I thought it really didn't hit the mark in that respect, like Rosalia does. Like when I heard Rosalia, I was floored with that with that melding of Spanish culture and folk music into hip hop and and trap and R and B and all of that. And I could hear the same thing with this Ares record, but it did like, it just didn't land for me. I don't know. Like, even though I really loved it, like there were moments that I really loved, but like as a concept of, and uh, the broad concept uh, in direction, it, it didn't have the same impact that the Rosalia thing had. I felt like they just like shied away a little bit from letting their true, like, uh, their true cultural voice shine through, but there was yeah, all yeah. this potential yeah. for it to shine through. I was like, I want to hear more of that, like what you grew up hearing. Yeah. In and, it, and it shows up, doesn't it? It shows up like for like a couple of little seconds here oh, and there. Like tiny yeah. moments. And you're like, like there was one moment where there's like a foreign language, I'm assuming it's, I think it was Hebrew, uh, like a little sample. And I was like, yes, like, what is that? More of that. I want to hear like all like this kind of really clear connection to, but for me, yeah, it felt like it was exactly what you said, like kind of looking just a little bit too outward And there's nothing wrong with looking outward. And there were so many moments where I was like, this is wild hearing somebody from Israel, really clear, like Nicki Minaj, Lekele 47 influence. Like, I don't know if you listen to that, like, Haley 47 record, Wash and Set, but it's also one of my favourite records, mm. recent records. And, like, there was so much influence there, like, like really derivative. At one point I was like, this is really Nicki Minaj, like, borderline cultural appropriation, but I think Nicki Minaj would love this. <laughs> so, like, I think it's cool, you know? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. that it's really, it's a total vibe. She, she talked a bit about that in an interview because I think she's been criticised for rapping and, and I certainly had this moment where I was like, oh. Like I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if this is the right time for 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 you know someone to experiment in this hip in this space if it's not the you know what if it's not th- that lived experience. But she kind of made a she talks about it as something she spoke about with her therapist, and you know fundamentally um, what she says is. Uh, like just stuttering words in her apartment was a way of dealing with her own anxiety, and I guess mm. you know, isn't it, it's just an interesting thing. Like what what one is allowed, what 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 I guess society allows one to do in, in introspectively and privately versus what one does publicly. Um, yeah, I still I still haven't made up my mind about. Um, about that kind of, you know, level. How much is appropriating yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I'm not I'm not really like. I can't really speak to that. I don't think any of us can really speak to that, not being mm-hmm. from that mm-hmm. culture. So mm-hmm. it's really hard to, like, I'm not going to pass judgment either way. Like, yeah. but yeah, the only thing I would say is like, I I would be surprised if Nicki Minaj heard it and hated it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, I'm just totally speculating. Like, I don't know. 
I don't know shit. I'll pick up one one more thing that you 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 brought up, which was in relation to Rosalia, and I think it's a real it's a real key element to perhaps if we're going to compare the two, why mm. you know you might have fired more with the Rosalia thing, and I think at the base level, Rosalia Rosalia is a master vocalist, um, yeah. and you know that carries everything, um, you know. It's you know if you're not if you don't know Spanish you don't understand what she's saying but but her her actual vocal performance is so fucking knockout yeah. that like but also she was a flamenco singer first that's right I heard that, that recently so like she was and, and in fact that I mean that I mean like look track two on that album um, where <laughs> you know out, yeah you know it's like that up. yeah it's the fucked whole up God for me it's outrageous but just it, but, like, but it, it, when it's, I heard that it just blew my mind yeah and it's so but it's so tasteful because. Because it actually uses its production to make a statement, yeah. which was, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. in the, in that regard, it was fundamentally they started with like a, a flamenco song and then they filtered filtered the guitar out and just yeah, kept yeah, her yeah, vocal. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's like for me, like that Rosalia record is the perfect example of, um, you know, people talk about cultural appropriation versus appreciation, and like mm-hmm. the Rosalia thing is the perfect example of cultures mashing and mm-hmm. creating something that like you would never hear otherwise, and is spectacular. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. 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 But it's interesting to draw that comparison here. It was the first thing I thought when it started. Like I got about two tracks in, and I was like, oh, it's kind of like a Rosalia vibe of like all these American influences seeping into a culture that's some way different but then the minute you said that about the tel aviv scene being very americanized um it that really makes a lot of sense to me like all you were talking about those scenes it's just like yeah cool i can hear that a hundred percent exactly what you're talking about um like like just to leave you guys with an image when you take a um when you take a train out of tel aviv central station the biggest piece of graph on um like that you can see it is like ginormous it's like a tag kind of graph it's not like a piece is someone who has written for for a minute there i lost myself um radiohead radiohead's literally not not say it's like a a, you know a uk band but fundamentally tel aviv is all about radiohead um and and another interesting little tidbit is creep um the film clip for creep was actually shot in tel aviv that was the first place they broke was um wow. yeah, really? yeah 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 and that you know hence johnny and then johnny greenwood moved there so johnny greenwood lives wow. in the north um so but yeah like just as a, just a bit of a snapshot that like that you know every to people in tel aviv are looking out and then you know yeah jerusalem looking in so um i'm surprised you're trying to Track down Nogo errors when Johnny. Greenwood's oh, mate, no, no. Apparently, it's, apparently, oh. it's impossible. He's collaborated <laughs> with one person in the country, and it's this um like Iraqi percussionist. It's um wow. it's like he's un untouchable. So he's there for tax purposes. May- maybe, most likely. <laughs> um. Anyways, was yeah, what yeah. do you reckon? Um. Look, I'm going to just read off my notes quickly. Um. You guys have covered pretty much everything, but like, I I think I wanted to say like I'm really glad you brought this album to the table tonight, Eric, because I'm not actually saying I liked it. Um. Much like you guys, but right away it was like a little bit different to the albums we've been reviewing. It had you know it had that sort of off kilter Zydeco weird Euro circus vibe. You know, as we said, mixed up with that sort of American influenced R and B, which we're all sort of hearing and now you've explained the Tel Aviv analogy that makes a whole bunch of sense um again as you guys said i was picking up elements of the gorillas um which all added up to something kind of strange but i i I just i just assumed that it was a local like you know it was referencing a lot of a a local scene and that's the sort of music that's coming out of there 
Um, uh, and, you know, just take bits and pieces from here and there and, and styles and genres. And, like, I just thought inherently it was, it's an Israeli release. And I, and I kind of like that. Um, look, I liked, again, I thought um, Views was okay. Um, I really liked End of the World. I thought that was okay. Um, the, the thing that I found interesting was that as I went through the album, you, you almost felt like you're being deprogrammed from what you're used to hearing and more tuning into um, into her vibe, which included the songwriting and the production. And I thought that was kind of good. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, it's all about songs and vibes. And there was definitely vibe, but I thought I actually thought the production was slightly off in a mixed sense. And I sort of wanted to... In what way? To, just, F, just digging, in what way? Uh, oh, I'll tell you. I started to um, <laughs> dig... <laughs> I started to dig down into it and... It was way too clean for me. Like, I, I want a grime. And when I thought about the grime, what grime am I searching for here? And then it just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. And if you go back and listen to it, you'll hear it straight away. The drums are crap. Like, the actual <laughs> drum production, the drum programming. That's such a big call. No, it's not. It's not. They're light on. Like, if you got some slamming, grimy drums on this, like, it would suck this together this album and i think that was the issue for me yeah i would agree um, that it, was, it wasn't quite it wasn't that raw it was pretty clean it was just i kind of it was weak that, um, that kind of reminded me of like kimbra and stuff like that that's so really funky like unapologetically like like bright and funky you know there's lots of lo-fi in the world we don't all have to make lo-fi music i'm with lewis know? it wasn't lo-fi high it fidelity. wasn't about lo-fi it was wrong with a bit of high fidelity was, in this in this life you know yeah. It wasn't even about the EQing. It was about the actual drums themselves and the programming. It right, was just yeah. a bit, ugh, this is like, meh, well, this is weak. When you draw the comparison to like to Lekele, for instance, like there was one track that that was like a really clear, um, really clear derivative end of the road. Um, mm-hmm. And it was almost like money or one of those really big End tracks. of the world or end of the road? End of the, end of the road. End of the road, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I kind of liked End of the World. Yeah, I did too. I, I really enjoyed I it, but it was a really for me. It was really reminded me of that sound, that like new female hip hop sound coming out of America over the last five years, yeah. and like it reminded me of it, but it could not touch those productions in terms of like those Lakeo productions. Like blow me away. It's like holy shit, this is so raw and fat, and like yeah. So I know I know what you mean. It's like, but I don't know. The oh, bar is pretty high. Fuck me. Yeah, I know. I know what you're saying. Like, was I don't it, think he doesn't suffer fools. He doesn't suffer fools. I'm like Prince Philip, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doesn't suffer fools. Um, look, I, I don't think it's that difficult. Look, I don't, I don't like again. I I don't hate this album. I think this album's got some really good points to it. And I think it wasn't super far away to being a successful album. Like it just it just missed in a number of areas. And if they had just sort of tidied it up a little bit. I think they could have had something quite decent on their hands here. It just it just missed. It just it just missed the mark. Maybe like they were shooting, you know, the bow and arrow. They just missed a target and hit like a seven on the other, you know, the other target. But they just missed some a couple of crucial things that would have fixed it. I think maybe and maybe that comes down to a producer being involved and uh, you know just identifying those things. Anyway, 
Um, that was me. Uh, let's send it to the uh, how many phone? No, no. How many? Uh, oh, what's it? Let me try <laughs> that. Let me try that. Let me try that. So no, I'm going to kick. You. Let me try that. I'm going to let me try that one and a half times on this. Okay. Album. Wow. So, all right. So was as. Uh, it's not too bad. It's like a four. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I'm going to give it a. Yeah, I'm going to give it a two and a half. Let me try that. I think um, I'm not going. Again, I'm not going to listen to this again. Um, uh, but I'm, Ooh, but I'm also really confident that it's going to be a massive record. Um, I think this is, yeah, really? I think this is going to go really well. Um, I think it's got all the good juice of like, um, it's cool. Like it, it's, it's just, it's, it, it feels cool, and cool people will probably get into it. Um, which is definitely not this crowd. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm really glad we. I'm really glad we looked at it though. Like, I think it was really good to review this album. So, yeah, although again, I don't, wanna, I don't want to speak for you, Lewis. I'll say when I say this crowd, I mean me and Waza, because you know. <laughs> no, you can include me in that. What? I think I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I won't go back to this record. I don't think maybe maybe a couple of tracks. I thought some of the production was interesting, especially I listened to it straight after the Middle Kids record, so it was like a bright, um, the breath of fresh air in terms of like you know wide, fat, loud bright great pop production i would it's interesting we talk about and i really hate that i just drew the comparison to the american scene like that and really put them side by side because like anybody that can make a record that sounds this good is like fucking killing it i don't think i could make a record that maybe that sounds like good like it sounds really fucking good you know i agree with you i don't really want to i don't want to knock it that's the thing um so yeah i'd give it like i'd give it two let me try that's i thought it was I thought it was really solid. There was moments that I really loved. I also thought it was really interesting as we, um, you know, I was getting pretty lyrically bored halfway through the record and then like, or just more like, what what are they talking about? And then, um, but then the second half, I actually felt it got more interesting because she started talking more about political issues. And I think like, yeah, I don't I agree know with a lot that. about, uh, I'm a real, I'm really ignorant about the Israel scene musically, but I think how can you make an international record out of that part of the world and not look inward and 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 have a bit of introspection and about political issues right like so i thought i was like kind of waiting for that once i really because i didn't know anything about it so once i clocked that it was she was an israel artist i was like okay cool like i wonder if it's going to go there at all and then when she did on the paper kites fire kites like i was like okay cool now it's like it's more real in a way like she's talking about something that's like lived and and there's a real it almost actually I was more tuned in at that point in the last three tracks. I really tuned out in the middle of the record. When it got really a bit yeah. repetitive hip-hop vibes, I really tuned out. I like was like on Facebook or whatever. But then when it around that point in the record, I really tuned back in and I was like, okay, cool. She's like talking about something now. There's something really, there's a depth that's going on that really hooked me again. But, yeah, so I wouldn't knock it, but two out of, two out of four for me. Yeah, look, I know you say this is going to be a big album, Mark, but I, I actually think that you know, there's 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 a lot to work with here, and I think I'll be interested to see what she does in her next couple of albums. I think, yeah, totally, I, definitely I, something to to look forward to. I'm really glad she's on my radar now. Like, definitely, you know. Hmm. Okay, so that was Noga Erez's new album, Kids. It's had a two and a half, a two, and a one and a half. Back shortly with our last album. Quite on time. 
star signs Eating apples on the train I know you say it's alright as you keep it inside Hey, when did you realize there's no guy with the first prize Waiting at the end Cellophane You shake, you never change Cellophane You're strange up in your brain Are you afraid to stop and find a reason why you can't get away from it? Our fourth album this week is by Sydney group Middle Kids and the album is titled Today We're the Greatest. So the Middle Kids are a trio out of Sydney um, featuring Hannah Joy, Tim Fitz, which is also her husband and life partner, and drummer Harry Day. Um, Middle Kids originally formed after Fitz offered to produce some songs for Hannah Joy's solo project after attending a show she played. Prior to Middle Kids, Fitz was also a solo artist who released five EPs between 2011 and 2014 under his own name. They enlisted local jazz drummer Harry Day, who went to school with Hannah Joy for a recording session in which they recorded their debut single, Edge of Town. The song's song's radio premiere on Triple J in May 2016 was followed by a feature in Rolling Stone, Australia. Shortly after the video clip's premiere on Stereogum, the song was added to Elton John's Beats 1 show. The trio won FBI Radio's Northern Lights competition, which sent, uh, sent them to perform wow. in Reykjavik, Iceland, at the Iceland Airwaves Music Festival. Uh, the band recorded their first record, their self-titled EP, in February 2017, and they also t- toured with Paul Kelly and Steve Earle in November that year. Um, Middle Kids broke through in 2016 with Edge of Town. Um, at home, they were added to rotation on Triple J and were nominated for ARIA Awards. Abroad, they were a hit, playing the song on Conan, followed by invites from James Corden and Jimmy Kimmel, and uh, also played Lollapalooza. Um, wow. Yeah, so they've done, they've, they've done really well, Middle Kids. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about their record as well, and then uh, maybe a little bit of a deep dive into seeing how their process works. Um but uh, this is again this is from an article from the Guardian um, was uh, Hannah talks about how she was pregnant with her first child when they were writing this record and she changed her approach and she and she quotes pregnancy really makes you wonder what do I actually think is important because I'm going to have to raise a human and impart that to them um, and uh, another really really interesting part of this record was that uh, um, Hannah had uh, got gone sober um, in relation to, well, during, I guess, obviously the pregnancy might have had something to do with that or other other elements, but um, she talks a little bit about how Australia, in Australia it's a real cultural thing, drinking, and she says, it's crazy how much uh, my world revolved around drinking. It sounds so silly talking about it now, but it was such a fuel. Everything seemed fun and sparkly all the time, but then I realized I'm not engaging with anyone properly or myself properly. And I had all these relationships and that they were nighttime relationships. I wouldn't even know what to do if I saw them during the day. And then, sorry, and then she met Fitz and everything changed. Um, who, and he apparently doesn't drink. She had to learn how to engage uh, without alcohol. And look, it just basically goes a little bit into um, just their story as well. Um, I think they're a really interesting group. Hannah Joy is an incredible songwriter. Um, just my experience, I, I, I spent a day with... 
um, both Hannah and Tim um, in 2019 uh, at a studio session. They were mentoring an artist um, that uh, I was friends with and I was just kind of hanging around um, through a program that I do uh, called Grid Series. And uh, and it was amazing to see their dynamic at play. Um, uh, you know, just an incredible working relationship with like the utmost respect, um, which which I found just really awesome to watch particularly, you know, they're a romantic couple um, and just sort of seeing, I guess, perhaps the boundaries or non-boundaries non of collaborating in a way that's like they've got their musical project and, you know, they also collaborate in like a kind of co-write process with other artists. Um, my, I guess my, my experience in that space was just, uh, you know, Tim being really quite sort of sound-centric and Hannah being this amazing editor um, and... Uh, also just like a chord machine and just both being absolute music fanatics who just bring everything to everything they do. So I got a lot of respect for this band and I, th and you know, I, I, um, I was really excited to listen to this record. Um, and I listened to it and it, it's, I think, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know how to best put this, you know, we, we are blessed <laughs> with some incredible Song songwriters in this country um, uh, who just make amazing music. Um, we've spoken about Ainsley Wills a couple of times on this podcast. Mm. Andrew McMahon is another artist that comes to mind. Um, like Stringer. Like Stringer. So, you know, they, these artists, I feel like, sit in a particular space that's not like radio ready for Triple J. And I feel as though the middle kids um, have managed to hit this real sweet spot of being like 100% uh, like commercially viable but still feeling authentic and I think that's the big one for me on this record um you know at face value you could just go it's an Australian pop rocket release but I but I think um Hannah Joy's vocal performance to me always feels completely connected and earnest and um whether that's a put on or whether that's just her as a person i'm not gonna opine mm. on that i just think that in order to put that stuff to tape um it requires a, a, a huge amount of skill and i think she does it in spades um every so every every vocal performance felt true and authentic to me and and that was the thing that I gravitated towards. Um, I felt it was lyrically driven and, I'm, you know, was and I have discussed at length that neither of us are mm. lyric guys, so it's hard for us to, like, comment as to, like, how we think about the lyrics, but um, that definitely felt like it was a story to tell. Um, from a production point of view, you know, there were times where I was like, I really love this kind of acoustic guitar, mm. like, in the background sort of aesthetic that seemed to be going on. Um, that felt really natural. I love the way the acoustic guitar was recorded. And then there were other times where I was like, it sounds to me like this is a track lumped on top of a track that should have just been on an acoustic guitar. So um, I, I'm kind of a bit torn here. Um, I I think it's I think it's a good record. I think it's got it's got a huge mountain to climb in relation to other artists doing kind of similar work at the moment. Um, but certainly hits a sweet crossover point, which um, which is not an easy thing to do. It doesn't feel it. It feels authentic, and it it feels like it's got integrity. But it's also like ready made for a mass audience on Triple J. That's uh, that's my that's my review. Um, what about you guys? What about you, Lewis? 
I think, yeah, I, it, it's, I think so many things about, I thought so many things when I listened to this record. I want to say firstly, okay, firstly, and the one. most important thing is it's so not my world really, especially as a producer and writer and um, artist, mm. it's not my world. It used to be much more my world in terms of session musician. Um, but even that, since moving to London, I haven't really done much in that world. So that's pretty important because it informs the way I think I listen to this. Like obviously your taste is so important in the way you listen to things. And I really was trying to balance that while I was listening and forming an opinion, you know, like trying to consider my taste a lot. Secondly, I think, secondly, I think like uh, being away from the vacuous clusterfuck that is triple J for so long now, I really like that hit me and like really um, it made me think a lot about that scene and the impact that that radio station has on Australian music, um, which obviously is a whole conversation. Um, But then even just in terms of the, and then, and then in actually digesting the record, like if we just talk musically for a minute, I like, there was lots of things that I really loved about it. The fir- for me, the first five or so tracks were really strong. And I think first half of the record was much stronger than the second half for me. But again, that might just be my taste. Like I started tuning out, say like halfway through the record, I kind of was losing interest. But again, I don't listen to a lot of indie music. So like that would be why, you know. Um, I But there were so many things that hit me as really brilliant. Yeah, like the vocal... The vocal delivery, the writing is all beautiful. The production is um, at points like really spectacular. Um, I really love Cellophane. That was probably my favorite track. I really love the imagery of like the suffocating plastic, like was kind of really dark in a way. At least that's how it hit me. I don't know if that's how it was intended, but that's what I got out of it. But yeah, there was a lot of moments where I really thought about like the... I don't know, like the impact of that Australian sound and um, yeah, especially putting it in context next to like the floating points. Thing yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but I think we have the to. the Nogueras thing, like the no, the minute I put, because I was listening to the record and like I was like the production at first I was really loving it. It was really lush and deep and immersive and like so raw and warm at points and, and um really it created such a mood and a space but then as the record wore on i was listening on like the studio i'm working in at the moment has really high-end monitoring like the best monitoring i've ever worked on in my life and that mid-range push in the mixes this grungy like you know 400 to 5k like soup mm. would just got me by the end by the end i was like oh, i just don't know if i can hear any more of this like it really like tired me out because mm. I was listening loud. I was like, I wanted to be immersed. So I was listening loud and like really wore me out by the end of the record. Um, and then also, yeah, creatively, I, I was a bit over it. I was a bit over it by the end of the record. But um, that's the thing. It's the same thing I said before. Like I, I don't really want to trash it because like there's so much that's incredible about it. It takes so much fucking time and effort to make an album and you put so much into it and it's so hard to make something of this quality. Like, it's such a, an incredible feat to put out a record of that quality. Um, got, so a lot of it is to do with my taste, yeah. Uh, just as a question, I think you've hit on something which I think is a, you know, could be a really good one to explore, which is like, you know, 
in the in the, in the realm where like you, we've got you know your America UK where it's like you're you're making music for the English speaking world, and then then you've got smaller markets, and I'd put Australia in that same bucket, like it's a small market, and there are. Mm. There are groups and artists that that do the Noga Errors thing, which is like look look abroad and look to tap into an overseas audience. Um, mm. And then there are artists that look perhaps more locally to tap but, into a local yeah. audience. And sure. I think I think I mean I, I don't know the intention here, but I think you know when when you think about like Australian bands that do sort of I guess. You, I guess you call it singer songwriter rock music. Yeah. I mean, you, indie, you know, yeah. indie indie rock music. Um, you, you've got a pretty you've got a pretty big amount of competition, like from like other places, like you know, Canada, and you know, America, other other yeah. yeah, America, whatever, to kind of poke through. So whether or not middle kids are looking for that kind of like we want to be the biggest band on the planet, or they're thinking like, look, you know, where um we are a really fucking dope Australian band and and in order for us to sustain our careers we do need to hit a spot in the market and as such I don't such- think it was that calculated though like I don't, it didn't sound it didn't, the, the making of the record didn't feel calculated to me it felt super honest yeah like it felt really honest I think that my like weirdness feelings about it is just like the stranglehold that Triple J has on the Australian market and the how it force feeds the Australian public a sound that they think that everybody's must like. Mm. And I think like almost, I think a lot of those bands fall victim to it. It's like, you know, yeah, like forced yeah, yeah, yeah. into this, like this particular sound. And I never, I don't know, like I always used to hate it when people would say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, like, but, I got, but like, now, especially being out of it for this long, I really like, and I just got so transported back into it when I put this record on. Yep. I was like, oh my God, this is such a thing. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. Triple A world is such a thing, you know. It is a thing. I don't know. Yep. I don't want to sound bitter, though. No, I don't think <laughs> you, know? you do. I think it's. I think it's a valid point. Um, you know, like I had an experience once where I was making an album with a with an artist from Perth, and and like I would listen to Triple J in a way that um, I'd be like listening so I could like know what the tricks were. And that was yeah, that I'm was saying, a, that was saying. that's what I was doing, but then they were listening and bringing stuff in that they heard on Triple J, going, "I fucking love this," and I, and mm. and and it was this really weird disconnect where I was like, "Oh my god, you know, what are we gonna do here?" Um, but you know, there were so many moments on this record where I was like, "I will never listen to this again," but I know that it will resonate with a lot of people. And maybe it's because I'm like an old fart millennial now or whatever, you know, I just yeah, turned yeah, 30. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally. not Gen Z. <laughs> like yeah. it's not my music. It's not for me. And yeah. that's totally valid. Like yeah. that's such a valid thing. Mm. And so that's why I want to really praise it, even though I didn't really like it. It's like but, there were yeah. so many things that, uh, yeah, you get me. I get you. What about you, Woz? Um, look, to be completely upfront, I put this album on. I was like, do I really want to listen to an introspective indie album this week when I'm listening to Silk Sonic, you know? And I was just like, the answer is like completely no. I just wasn't, I just was not in the headspace for an album like this. And for whatever, for whatever reason, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but in all fairness, like, I think this is a pretty decent album. And as you said, (coughs) Hannah Joy is a... I think she's a really great vocalist and lyricist and 
Again, I agree. I completely agree with you. I think she sold the songs with a lot of conviction. And even though I wasn't feeling this style of music, and I feel really bad. But like, I just, I don't know what, why I couldn't connect with it this week. I can fully appreciate it. I think they've probably made a really good album here. Um, look, the lyrical themes of suburban mundaneness and finding the beauty, you know, amongst that sort of mundaneness. I, I really like those themes. Um, I thought that song Cellophane um, Brain like had touches of Weezer about it that I really liked. I really liked mm. that track. Um, but to be honest, there were no tracks that really stuck out to me as being standouts. Um, but on the flip side, I thought there was an overall consistency to the songs and the writing. And I thought the production was pretty great. Um, I thought the performances were solid by by the instrumentalists. Um, so there was nothing I really disliked about the album. So, like, you know, you could easily make the argument that I'm sitting on the fence with this. And that would be a fair comment because I'm still really trying to decide whether I thought this was a derivative indie pop album or because it certainly follows the tried and true formula um, of a lot of sort of indie pop albums. But when I thought about it a bit more, I sort of think I've come down on the side of that it's a that it's a solid effort and the a solid effort and the band should be really happy um, mm. with what they've done. Um, and I so if I have to dig down even deeper, what is it um, that I wasn't connecting? I think maybe it's missing a standout song yeah. um, that helps anchor you know, the album and and the whole thing can sort of move around one or two songs. And I just, I thought it missed, it missed that and it needed it. Um, but yeah, look, I, I thought it was a, a solid effort. Um, look, I, I hear everything that you guys are saying. Like it's probably, I don't know if it is in my world or not these days. Like, you know, was it a million miles away from the um, Paper Kites album that we looked at last week? Aaron? I think I think it was pretty far away. I mean... Yeah, I would I would argue yes. I think it, I think it was quite a, quite some distance, um, mm. genre wise, and also kind I think of, I'm just thinking in that sort of triple J headspace. I guess um, yeah, as you guys have alluded to, like you know, it's that sort of made for market. I um, think I, I think if I was to make a comparison between the two, I would say this middle kids one felt far more earnest. Um, it didn't feel like performative connection in the vocal, whereas I felt that in in last week's record. So. I think it's just a challenge, you know what I mean? Um, and Lewis and Was, I think you'd both agree, like if a fucking awesome songwriter showed up into your world and they said, hey, you know, I want to make a record, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like either just like put a mic up and record them or do something that can make it more than like an indie singer-songwriter record and that's going to be the challenge. And, and, and I think the most important thing here is that like in any music doesn't matter that you are making music that's honest. And I think this was a really honest record. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like, I, I totally agree with that. I wasn't listening to it at any point going like this sounds like they're trying to shit hits. Like yeah. it just yeah. like... Agreed. It, it sounded like they're just making a record with no agenda really. Like... You know, there was like moments where I was like, there was some like token decisions, but other than that, it's like it was believable. It was really believable. Really, for the most part, it felt like like a really honest artistic statement. It's just like so not my world. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. Fair call. Fair call. All right. Well, let's take it to the um, 
Let's take it there. Take it there. How many let me try that? How many let me try take that? I'm so glad, Lewis, that you... Benny. Uncle Benny. Yeah, Uncle Benny. I'm so glad that um, you remember the phrase because me and Waz well, you know are why, like, I'm the only one, yeah. You know why, yeah. Eric? It's, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning over there. Dude. Oh, yeah, he's true. Still, yeah, yeah, he's fully true. awake. Yeah, he's still waking up. <laughs> All right, so yeah. I'm going to give this... So, well, our last record was Nogger Errors 2.5. Let me try that. I think I'm going to give this a two. Let me try that. Um, that's a, that's that's probably it from me. Yeah, I'm going to go a two point five on this. Um, it's definitely better than a five. It's not it's not quite a seven and a half. And I and the I did go and look through a couple of reviews after I reviewed this today, and it you know it was in that sort of seven or eight territory. And there was one review that gave it a five out of ten. And I sort of read all the reviews, and I could see you know each review actually had some good points. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's a five, but like, I don't think it's an eight either. So yeah, 2.5, maybe 2.75. All right. 2.75. Yeah. I'm going to give this a one from me. I think a lot of that is to do with my taste, like I've said a million times already, but also like, you know, as I was listening, I think about like all the, like, I don't, I definitely don't just listen to floating points and Cardi Tatum every day. Like I like a lot of different music and especially in the international music scene, I think about how, like, I don't know, I hate comparing music like that. It's not a competition, but yeah, if I had to, if I had to give it a number one, let me try that out of four, I think. That's that's good. You've only had to try it once and then you fixed it. That's right. So in yeah. actual fact, so there's a really positive good. there. Do you know what I mean? Because totally. that, that AV totally system about- is going to be up and about in no time. Totally. But yeah, I just like, I would at the same time, like, you, you know, I would not want to knock. It's like, there's some incredible work and like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, that's a one, a 2.75 and a two for the middle kids. I love the name too. Middle kids. What a great, great band name. name. Great cool name. Band yeah. Uh, that's their new album today. We're the greatest. Um, Lewis, dude, thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having tonight. me. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for, for coming, passion, Lewis. Man. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Careful, you get me started. What's on for the day? <laughs> what do you got? What do you got on for the day? You're gonna head down to um, Clemson's in East London and get yourself a flat white. Is that is that the vibe? No, dude, I can't afford flat whites in London. Are you kidding me? Oh yeah, it's <laughs> true, <laughs> right? Is it still? I mean, like, who's it? Just to just to leave us with something. Given like of COVID has you know basically meant no more travel, and given that like all the cafes were sort of run by like. Kiwis in London, you know, two years ago. Um, what's the coffee situation like? Is it just back to like Nescafe? It hasn't really like- changed, actually. No, it hasn't really changed. All the, I think the one, the one uh, thing to survive this whole thing um, has been the cafe world. Actually, I think right. in London, it's safe. Like, uh, yeah, my my ex girlfriend used to work at a cafe in London, and an Aussie owned cafe, and they like they. Uh, made a killing Kill through lockdown it. because they because they opened as a lighter and sold like really expensive sourdough and organic eggs. Smart and guys. the East Londoners lapped it up. Love <laughs> that shit. Up. I bet. But yeah, no, strictly home coffees for me. I'm I have to do some bullshit and then I've got a session tonight at seven with this drummer, a Kiwi drummer who lives here named Maila Manzanza. I'm so you straight straight after his shift at uh, at the cafe, clearly. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been. 
I don't know how decent his flat whites would be. Right, right. Well, Lewis, it's been an absolute pleasure hanging out tonight um, on today, your yeah. morning. Um, I guess, uh, you know, I'll probably speak for Was as well. It's it's so nice to um, to speak with people about music who are just so fucking enthusiastic, like just love it, you know what I mean? Love it and and want it to yeah. be good all the time. And, and I feel yeah, as though, yeah. you know, we got, we got a dose of that tonight and um, – you know, well, the guy hasn't been out for like uh, two years, man. You know, he's just enthusiastic about people calling him up, talking to him on the phone. I'm just happy to speak to somebody new. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take, we'll, mate. We'll just do another taping tomorrow. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> it's only so many times I can rant about middle kids to my English housemates. They don't care. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, so look, man. Look, we wish you nothing but uh, but the best of luck and and um, with uh, with everything you're doing over there in the UK. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot of your stuff coming out. We'll give that remix a, a spin and um, and of course we can't wait to hear you know the releases that you're working on with with artists that uh, we can't you know can't wait to discover via you. So um, I'll I'll leave my comment to that. Was can you take us out? Oh, dude, Lewis, can't wait to see you back in Melbourne in uh, yeah, four weeks. If you can get on that flight, Jesus. If I can get on the plane, yeah. Have a great time, man. Um, thank yeah, you so much. Thanks, some, and, thanks uh, so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Uh, let's do it again one day. You're a North London, our East London correspondent. be a correspondent coming in <laughs> live. Let's hopefully get a better microphone next time. But, you know, one can only hope. One, one can, can only, only hope. hope. Thank you, Waza, and thank you again for uh, steering the ship in uh, in the right direction. We avoided all of the um, Atlantic Ocean icebergs today and uh, and, we, and we can't wait uh, can't wait for episode 21 where we finally get to drink at a legal age in the US of A. This has been the All Music is Good podcast. We'll see you next time.